a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zero Limits listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, I have a guest uh, all the way from uh, Queensland, the mighty uh, Queenslanders. Uh, you know, I love that place, especially the Broncos. But uh, he spent around 18 years uh, within the Defence Force, uh, more specifically the Navy. Yes, the Navy. <laughs> However, the majority of his Navy career was a clearance diver, which uh, is one of those jobs that basically assimilates with uh, SF, uh, especially within the tag role. Uh, moving down the track for this guy, he actually did deployment overseas to Afghanistan as one of those EOD guys. And we're just speaking off camera then. I remember we had this EOD guy in 2008 and he was loose, like he was digging up, you know, 107s with a shovel and just, you know, hitting them. And I'm like, oh, this guy's, this guy, this guy is loose. But uh, Ashley Simmons, mate, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good to be here and uh, looking forward to having a bit of a chat. I'll just uh, jump in for the Navy brethren out there and let them know that we are the same senior service. So just ca- <laughs> count, counter your little comment there. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair call, mate. Fair call. <laughs> However, experiences may vary. Correct. Very much so. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Mate, uh, again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, again, I heard your podcast um, with the boys' life on the line and uh, just just an incredible story, not to mention your, your wife's uh, story as well. She was uh, serving Navy, uh, a medic as well, which uh, I might have to get her on, I think, and get her to share a story as well. Yeah, mate. She's um, she's an impressive woman. She's got a pretty impressive story too. Um, it's funny that we both sort of Moved along a very linear uh, process together, and and our careers sort of interwove in there. But uh, she had a lot of stuff that happened during her career that's definitely worth her telling a story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and just quickly on that, mate. When did you guys, uh, I guess, hook up and get married? Mate, so she'll uh, when she listens to this, she'll probably uh, tell me I'm wrong because I'm pretty useless <laughs> with dates. Um, so somewhere around 2008, um, and just before that, or. 2007, she actually instructed me on a medical course. So that's sort of where oh, yeah, the, right. where that path sort of crossed initially. Um, 
no, there was no sort of sparks or grand romances there. It was just sort of come in, do your work, and and piss off. Uh, and then later on at a pub, as it often happens, the mighty Crow's Nest Hotel in North Sydney. Yeah, um, that's where it all happened, and uh, and here we are today. Yeah, yeah, mate. In regards to the Navy accepting of you know, um, no, I don't really know. Like, were they were they fine with it? Do you guys ever work together or in any work capacity? No, not really. Um, yeah. Generally, they sort of try and separate you. I mean, in that process, we had our son. Um, so by that stage, it was really uh, one had to be at home, but one was off doing whatever their career needed for them to uh, wherever that posting was, whether it was Perth, Queensland, Sydney, Melbourne, all the other places that we've been separated uh, around the world. So yeah, it was a fairly um, sporadic type relationship for most of it, uh, just due to the geographical position. That's it, and obviously just following you around uh, while you're bouncing around the you know the domestic side of Australia and getting posted here, getting posted there. Yeah, that's right, mate. Um, even to the point where we were married, we had a son, we'd been together for the best part of 10 years and we'd never actually signed a lease or lived together or uh, really been in the same state for a period of time. So I was, um, that's probably why she stuck around. She didn't really get to know that I was such a nightmare. <laughs> I think that's why my uh, my relationship with my wife has worked for so long because I've been away for half of it. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's uh, they say what do they say distance makes a heart grow fond or something. I think it's I call bullshit on that. They just don't really get to know you. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> mate. Uh, before we crack on with you know joining the navy and moving into all the other stuff, let's let's get back to young Ashley, mate. Where'd you grow up? Mate, give us a rundown on schooling, etc. Yeah, so I grew up in Adelaide. Um, I joined the Navy from there, so I spent uh, 19 years there growing up. Um, just a very sort of easy, wholesome sort of family life. Grew up on the beach, um, in and out of surf clubs and swimming pools and just in and around the water uh, for my whole life. Um, just did a sort of a small, or well, not country, but a small suburban primary school. And then uh, from there, went to a college, which at the time didn't really suit me because I had grand plans of going to the Olympics and I was going to be the uh, the next year in Perkins, which uh, obviously didn't turn out. But um, yeah, so schooling wasn't really such a big deal for me. I sort of put that on the back burner, uh, never actually completed year 12, um, chasing this grand dream of, of the Olympics. Yeah, right. So you want to be a swimmer. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I spent, uh, like I said, a lot of time. I grew up from a very young age at surf club and was always garbage in the water. So that led me to sort of spend a bit of time in the pool and improve on those skills. And I tend to got better and better and won a few races here and there, which saw me um, Olympic trials, that sort of stuff. But uh, unfortunately for me at the time, blokes like Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett and those guys were just dominating the world. So I had to go and uh, find something else, which was the Navy. Growing up in Adelaide too, that's that's a weird place for swimming because it's, yes, mate. it's, it's quite a you know geographical spot for sharks, mate. Uh, and they're my biggest fear. They still are to this day, and they uh, they're a fucking nightmare throughout my whole navy career. I yeah. just every time I was in the water, there's where's where, there there is a shark here. It must be hunting me. Where is it? <laughs> um, so yeah, spent that obviously comes from uh, I guess my background growing up and my childhood and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, it definitely haunts me till today. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that. I'm sure you've yeah. probably had a couple of encounters down the track. But mate, uh, in regards to family history, was there any family history within the Navy or Defence Force itself? <laughs> yeah, so my old boy was in uh, in the Navy for uh, probably about 15 minutes, if you ask him. Uh, but a very short period of time, sort of, I don't think he made the 12-month 12 12 month mark. Um, he was in as a QMG, so what would be a bosun's mate these days, so... Weapon specialist, chipping and painting, doing all the sort of odd jobs around the place on the ships. Um, 
he lasted, like I said, not too long because he decided it was as most uh, most of us do when we get into ports, go out, get on the piss, carry on. Um, once he went back to the ship to get changed and uh, put on his stepping rig and go and find himself a lady, he uh, got in a punch up with the officer of the day who's running the ship. Uh, picked him up, threw him off the side of the ship, and quickly found himself spending a bit of time in Holesworthy Barracks. threw him off the ship. Yeah, mate, yeah. So what a war dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was the end of his career pretty quickly. Um, so he didn't really tell me that story till quite some years later, but I, I had an awareness that he was in the Navy, so that crossed with my uh, time spent around that maritime environment. Um, those two sort of lined up, and clearance diving was a good idea. <laughs> I still can't believe it. Well, like, like, are we, are we talking a frigate? Yeah, mate. Yeah, like so just straight of, off the fucking side. That's a long drop. Yeah, it's a reasonable drop. Yeah, so he would have known about it by the time he hit the water. And <laughs> <laughs> and I, I often laugh because my old man's not uh, not the biggest bloke. He's pretty skinny. Uh, he's flat out punching himself out of a uh, wet paper bag, but uh, managed to get the job done there. And uh, yeah. Didn't, didn't work out too well for him. Yeah, right, mate. And when you go back to schooling, man, how'd you go at school? You know, again, this is one thing I talk about in pretty much every podcast I've done with with guests like yourself and myself, never applied ourselves, you know, different different ages back in those 80s as well, you know? Yeah, mate, spot on. Um, like I said, it wasn't, definitely wasn't a focus of mine. Um, I couldn't, for me at the time, I was just a, a knockabout young fella that, um School wasn't a priority. Uh, I was happy. Oh, like I could get through and get it done and pull a, pull an odd C or maybe a B out of my back pocket if I got lucky. Uh, but I definitely wasn't a straight A student. And uh, yeah, it was a different time. Um, schooling wasn't necessarily um, as bigger or as important as what it is now. Um, I look at my own son now uh, and I, I say to him, like, mate, schooling, you have to at least finish school. Whether you go to uni or get a trade or whatever it is after that, uh, at least you can fall back on year 12 and that'll get you, that'll open a few doors for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but for me, yeah, it was the classic report card of if he applied himself, he could uh, do a lot better. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it, mate. Fuck. It's just an absolute common theme, which is crazy. Yeah. hundred percent it is. Mate, in, in regards to the defense force, where does this come into your mind? I said, you wanted to be in Thorpe and, you know, Kieran Perkins and stuff. You t- you pretty much turned into them, but you know, more hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, I so I did uh, 2004 Olympic trials. Um, and wasn't successful there, uh, and from there, basically, I was uh, 18ish, uh, and had to sort of start making something myself. Had to start earning some coin to to put some bread on the table. I was still living at home with mum and dad, so life was good. Um, but there's there's a time where you have to uh, stand on your own two feet and, and find something else. So having not finished school, not having a whole lot of skills except for being able to swim quite well. Um, the Navy sort of made sense for me. Um, and once I did a bit more research into it, uh, the clearance diving route looked pretty sweet. Diving and blowing things up and shooting guns and jumping out of helicopters sounded pretty good to a to an 18-year-old boy. Yeah, right. In in regards to that, mate, like the Army or Air Force didn't get a look in? Uh, well, we all know the, the Air Force is never going to get a look in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and look, they were just never even in my scope and I think probably because because the old boy was in the Navy because yeah. I spent so much time in and around the water the Navy was just the obvious choice for me yeah they, it kind of seems like that you know if you've got family history within uh, you know a certain thing that you know even policing or fires or something you pretty much end up in that route because you kind of I guess it's like subliminal messaging as a young child it's just yeah mate. Um, 
I, I didn't really like. I never. There was never a plan of joining the navy or anything yeah. like that. It was really until Just swimming. Yeah, yeah, and even then, like navy wasn't even a thought. Uh, it was really until that point, like I had a, a fairly uh, failed Olympic trials in 2004, and that's when I sort of put the foot down and went, well, I'm not hanging around till 2008 to try and go to the Olympics or whatever else. I'm just not good enough. Um, so that was there was no um, plan. It was just very reactive. Okay, well, what now? Navy makes sense. Let's go. Sign the dotted line. And six months later, I was putting the uniform on, and, and here we go. At that point... Obviously, September 11 happened. Uh, yeah. The Iraq War kicked off March 2003. Did you have any? In fact, the Australian Army itself was, you know, the Solis, uh, East Timor, 90s, Rwanda, and um, Somalia and stuff. Did you have any concept on exactly what any of that was was happening? Not really. Um, or nothing until September 11. That was sort of, I guess, everyone's got that point where they can kind of remember what they were doing or where they exactly, were. Or, yeah, definitely touch on it. Um, yeah. So I remember that morning because I was getting up for swimming at 4 a.m. Um, so Australian time, but it pretty much just happened. Um, flicked the TV on, but didn't really think too much of it. It was kind of, I was, I don't know, half dazed and still asleep trying to eat my breakfast. Uh, by the time I'd driven the 40 minutes or so to the pool, there was a TV on the pool deck, which never happens. Um, and it was just live streaming of what's going on. Um, and then finished that session, went home, didn't go to school, stayed home, watched that whole day of just what the fuck's going on here. Um, and then, yeah, so that was, that definitely lit a little bit of a fire and a bit of an idea, um, about defense force, um, all that sort of, um, I guess the war side of the house, um, obviously as that progressed through in the media. So that fire started to uh, grow a little bit more. And then again, reflecting on the rest of the way I grew up, it was, yeah, it was just a, an Seemed like a normal trajectory for me. Did your old boy give you some commentary on nine eleven on that day? No, nah, not at all. No, nah. nah, he was because he, he did such a short stint within the navy. He, I guess, he didn't really even grow that experience or that knowledge of the yeah. military side of the house. Like it's very even now, or even yeah, it's very foreign to him to have any sort of understanding of that sort of stuff. I mean, he spent the rest of his life driving trucks and is still a like a chauffeur to this day. So, um, yeah, that world is is very foreign to him. Yeah, gotcha, mate. So again, 2004, mate, you give that number a call, 131901. <laughs> uh, head down to the recruiting station. I'm guessing this is over uh, down in Adelaide. Yeah, mate. So the only one at the time was uh, in the city, which was, uh, I guess, an hour or so train ride uh, at the time. So I went in there one day, said, right, I, where do, what do I do to sign up? Uh, they tried to sign me up as a bosun's mate, which uh, I just... I look back on, uh, I'm very fortunate that I went, nah, I'll just wait till this diving thing comes up because it sounds more fun. Uh, and I fucking made the right choice there. Um, I I don't think my career would have been as long if I stayed in as a bosun just because I like uh, chasing challenges, I guess. And I don't think that would have challenged me enough. Yeah, fair, fair, mate. So you go down to the recruiting center, do all your medical, do all that stuff eventually. Uh, get offered a position. Is it like a direct entry as a clearance diver? Is, is it how it works? Yeah, mate. Yeah, exactly. So the clearance diving branch is uh, a, a bit of a different beast that uh, as the numbers sort of ebb and, ebb and flow, they'll close it off to direct entry and they'll just take uh, lateral transfers from uh, other jobs in the Navy, Army, Air Force. Uh, at the time, we didn't have quite the numbers that we needed. So I was fortunate enough to just go straight in off the street. Um, so once I'd signed that line, that line and said, I'm keen, I'm in. Uh, I guess it would have been about a six-month wait, which gave me time to get some training under my belt. 
Um, fortunately, I had a fair bit done just through the life that I was living, so I didn't need a whole lot of tuning up. Um, and yeah, found myself in Cerberus not long after that at Recruit School. Yeah. So how'd you, how'd you find the Recruit School? How long is this process down there? So like Recruit School, as in getting into the, for them to, I guess, mould you into someone that can operate within the Navy and the wider military. It's a, a three-month, um, I guess you could call it a live-in course, for lack of a better word, uh, where they teach you the lot from how to stand, how to march, how to salute, what a ship looks like, what a ship's called, um, all the all the ins and outs that you wouldn't necessarily know uh, living on the outside. Um, and I was quite successful through that. Again, I'd come from a fairly elite um, sporting background that had only ended not long ago, so I was fit enough to mix it in there and do quite well there. Um, I took the sports person of the intake, recruited the intake. Uh, I think, yeah. So I feel the trophies home from there just by turning up and I guess deciding that this was a career and this was a passion that I wanted to follow. Yeah, no, mate, I, I have heard the old Navy uh, fitness side of things is quite uh, lacking. So you yes, definitely, mate. definitely you being at that top end of, you know, training for the Olympics, yeah. you would have been fit as a mofo. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I mean, I still look at it as laughable. Like, <laughs> I guess the Navy can get away with it a bit more because you're sitting on a ship and you don't yeah. have to be, uh, rather than sticking a pack on your back and running around the bush or Afghanistan or Iraq or anywhere that the army would generally operate. Um, so yeah, the fitness standards were uh, what I thought relatively easy to obtain. Um, and even the morning getting up for PT at, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning, I was like, sweet, this is a sleep in. Um, so yeah, it was. I found that stuff fairly easy to uh, adapt to. Yeah. Well, you, you had that discipline, again, you had that discipline life as a swimmer and swimmers' lives are quite, fucking discipline you know you're swimming this here you're waking up this time you're swimming it late at night you're swimming you know when you can type things so i guess when it comes to the discipline within the navy you kind of just grasp that concept quite easily yeah mate it did make a very easy transition for me i mean i look back at the days of swimming sort of 14 15 sessions a week and this is as a 14 15 16 17 18 year old i'm like what fuck I missed out on a lot of chasing girls and drinking beer, yeah. Uh, but I definitely made up for that while I was in the Navy, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so no, nah, that transition was quite easy. And in your class, how big are these classes down there? Look, mate, I was actually talking about that the other day, and I don't really remember. My class would have been made up, I guess, sort of like what you'd imagine a school-sized class to be, so sort of 30-odd people from memory. And then I think we had five or so of them. Um, so what are you looking at? 150 people per intake, um, roughly, would be my my best guess at this stage. I mean, a few bit of water's gone under the bridge since then. So yeah, of course, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's um, generally the makeup, and yeah, you'd lose a few along the way who decided that it's easier to go home to mum and dad or to their whatever, whatever they didn't cut the cut the mustard. And how many divers were in this in this group? Shit, there would have been probably six or seven of us, I reckon, at that stage, um, and we lost a couple. Very early on, for whatever reason, they life was too hard. Whatever, um, fitness standards were too hard. Um, and then, I mean, through the whole process, there was one, two of us left uh, on graduation days of Clarence Silver. Oh, so, shit. yeah, from that six or seven down to the two, we picked up a few more in between and whatever. Um, but yeah, there is a pretty high attrition rate through that training. Yeah, right. You graduate from that that uh, first recruit training. What happens from here? You get moved on to your specific diver training? 
Yeah, so we do a few specific courses um, down in Cerberus. So there's, uh, I guess, a general weapons package, F-88, F-89, pistol, shotgun, that sort of stuff. Um, we do a bit of ship's husbandry stuff, so uh, very similar to what a bosun's mate would do, chipping, painting, that sort of stuff, with the intent that if you fail your clearance diving route, it's quite easy to re-roll you into something else because you're effectively qualified. Um, so that took another, I don't know, six, eight weeks down in Melbourne or Cerberus. Um, and then they shot us up to uh, HMAS Penguin in Sydney for, for the start of the uh, clearance diving course proper. And how did you find that, you know, that you said that eight weeks down at Cerberus, how did you find that training? Was it quite, I guess it's obviously different to recruit training. You're moving into more specific. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're given, um, what's the right word? Probably a little bit more a respect that you've, you've passed that first, you've climbed that first hurdle. Um, and then it's more that technical stuff. I mean, at that time, I'd never shot a weapon. So uh, to be given a, a sweep of six or seven different weapon packages within two weeks, um, that was at the time I was like, holy shit, I, fuck, what have I got myself into? But at the same time, it was epic. I'm shooting machine guns and shotguns and all this stuff that uh, is epic. But at the same time, you're um, under the pub a bit with all the tab data and the bullshit that goes with it. Um, and then to be taught how to chip and paint and stuff, that was. Uh, I mean, that was almost enjoyable because it was a bit slower and a bit uh, bit more. You can enjoy yourself a bit more, I guess. It's funny talking about tab data for like weapons and stuff. You're like, I don't give a fuck how yeah. fast the ball flies. Yes, I don't mate. fucking care. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> mate. Like, yeah, it's nice to know how many, how many rounds you're throwing down range per second or whatever. But at the end of the day, when it clicks and there's nothing else, out mag and you mag and just keep throwing them the same speed. Exactly. Um, good old, yeah, good old tab I, data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I was happy to move past that. I mean, as you know, the, the military has a way of making you remember that shit, but um, whether it's important or not, I don't know. <laughs> mate, so for, as you said, from there, mate, you moved up to uh, Penguin up in Sydney. I had my surgery there, my shoulder surgery. Yep, yep. And back in the uh, day when the hospital was there. Yeah, yeah, great place because yep. they had the Nunes yeah. Beach there. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hot Navy chicks cruising around, which was always a good thing. But uh, yeah, so how'd you find that, mate? How long is that, that process of, this is like, is this more like specific, just diver training? Yeah, mate. Yeah. Yep. So that's when it that's when it really starts. Um, so we we flew in on a, I guess it would have been a Saturday or whatever. Had Sunday to sort of orientate ourselves, and then Monday down at work. And fuck me, I still remember the day walking down there and walking down the stairs. And this was back when the dive school, uh, the old dive school was there. It's currently, or it's been rebuilt now to a quite a fancy place. But back then, it was full of gym animals and old sheds. And there was a set of stairs that only staff or qualified divers could use. Uh, no one tells you that when you roll up day one as a trainee. So fucking we we paid for that for hours, push, build push-ups, sitting in the water, just standard standard sort of, uh, I guess it's called character building these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we learned pretty quickly the, the do's and the don'ts and, and what happens if you, uh, if you do a don't. Um, so yeah, you quickly fall in line with what's going on. And that was... Um, I mean, that sorted people out pretty quickly. Very quickly, we had people leaving because they didn't want to be there or they were injured just due to the the high, intense level of physical activity that we did. Uh, and that was before we even touched the water. Um, it was probably our best part of six weeks before we even touched the water with our first diving course. Oh, yeah, right. And when you talk diving course, is it starting off, right, obviously, from the basics, kind of like a civvy one, and then you move into, the, obviously, the full fucking – special stuff that you guys do 
Yeah, mate, exactly right. So we start with uh, Ship's Diver, which is, um, that's the Navy lingo for it, but effectively that's translated to just a basic paddy diving course um, where you're sitting there blowing bubbles, looking at fish effectively. There's a few more things in there, uh, inspecting ship's hulls and that sort of stuff, but very basic, just scuba diving, um, breathing just normal air. So uh, that's capped at 20 meters, so relatively shallow, uh, relatively benign conditions, although it does involve a fair bit of night diving. Um, but yeah, still very benign. Uh, that one took us three weeks. Uh, again, it was very physically arduous. Uh, and I guess the argument was that it prepared us for our sele- upcoming selection, which it definitely did uh, put us in quite a good spot. We were all um, pretty good physical specimens and used to the abuse that was to come by that stage. So um, yeah, got us to the right right place where we needed to be. Yeah, right. And you say you you talk about the selection. So, mate, you're just gonna have to break this down for me because I'm fucking obviously an army guy. Yeah, uh, with half a brain. Um, just breaking down. So you do the you know the first component of a few months just training, and then you then you go through a selection. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the uh, the first few months, so you look at Cerberus as your, um, I guess your IET training, um, where you go and just learn Navy. You do weapons courses and stuff. So that's basically to allow you to re-roll into something else if and when you fail your clearance diving specific training. Um, when we got to uh, Penguin and did the, the basic ship's divers course, because there's elements of diving within the selection, we had to be qualified in the equipment, basically. So they let you do your basic um, ship's divers scuba course, um, and then whenever the next selection is scheduled, um, you'll attend that with the with the skills to be able to achieve that and show that you retained these skills, um, which, as you would know, is quite an important part Um that if you can't assimilate that simple information relatively quickly, then you're probably not suited to the role. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and it's- Moving um, on to that selection, like what is mm. this? Is this like a 10-day, 13-day, 15-day type, just B session of getting smashed? Yeah, exactly that. And again, particularly back in that time, things were a bit a little bit more fast and loose. Um, but yeah, it was, so it was 10 days for me. Um I was called CDAT then, so Clearance Diver Acceptance Test. That's gone through a few different renditions and different names to what it is today, uh, but that's what it is for me. And that was uh, from, again, the memory's a little bit hazy with uh, that, probably because of the lack of sleep, but that was generally um, always in the water, uh, whether that was fitting, swimming, diving, uh, paddling canoes, driving Zodiacs, fucking just treading water. Uh, you, you're pretty well wet constantly, which was really good for me uh, and probably is what allowed me to be successful is because I'd spent so much time in the water before that, that that was, yeah, that's right. That um, that made things a lot easier for me. So I was quite lucky in that regard. Um, I definitely wasn't uh, anywhere near um, the same level of uh, competency on land, running, uh, push-ups, whatever. Um, as some of the other guys, they would just hammer me with that stuff, but it put me in the water and I was happy. I was comfortable. Uh, and I knew what I was doing. Um, but then, like, add pack marches and that sort of stuff in there. And I'd sort of, I'd sit mid-pack. I could get it done. But um, definitely wasn't excelling in those those areas. Actually, mate, run us through something, you know, I guess, you know, what we've seen, you know, more predominantly on the TV with the US Navy SEALs in San Diego swimming yeah. out, like, fucking four kilometers and, you know, finning for, like, fucking 5Ks type thing. And yeah, is, is there stuff like that? Yeah, 100% there is. Um so you look at some of the, I guess, the more well-known within the community and then somewhat outside. Uh, you look at the Manly Fins, so you'll leave uh, HMAS Penguin uh, with the direction of uh, swim to those lights, which you can see roughly sometimes in the distance. 
um, which would be Manly Wharf uh, on the harbour side. And that's, I guess, without actually measuring it, probably about 5K. Uh, you get there, uh, you pretty well get a high five and get, get told, well done, well, make your way back. So you swim back. Um, and then you get the Manly Run, which you follow the harbour around from Penguin around to the same place. Um, so there's there's constant, uh, like I said, changes with those sort of things, but they're the probably the two big ones that people used to struggle with the most, and that would be uh, due to physical inability, but then also saltwater aspiration, cramps, which would then tear because people don't want to say that they're cramping, and all that sort of stuff that would, uh, like, you know what selections are like. They, they have a way of weeding people out pretty quickly. And when you say finning, like what, what's finning? You've got your fins on and just on your back? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I... I assume that people know what that lingo is, but obviously, uh, obviously they don't. Um, it's effectively, yeah, just lying on your back with a pair of fins and just kicking your fins. Um, so it can get pretty monotonous pretty quickly, uh, particularly if you've got someone next to you who's a little bit shorter. So their ankles are a bit shorter, so their fins sort of sit where your ankles are, and they'll kick the skin off your fit off your ankles. That gives you the shits pretty quickly. Um, so <laughs> there's often a few arguments with people about just little niggling things when they're under pressure of a selection. And yeah, so I, I always found that quite entertaining to hear the arguments going on. And a 5k fin, how like, what's the time frame in that? Mate, depending on obviously tides and that sort of stuff. So if you get an ingoing tide, you can get there in sort of, I don't know, two, two and a half hours. Um, if you get an outgoing tide, you may not move for two hours. Uh, so it's, uh, you're really at, uh, well, if Mother Nature wants you to sit there, that's what's going to happen. Um, and then that can obviously fuck with your head too. When you've got a landmark that you can see and you want to, so channel markers and buoys and stuff in the middle of the harbour that you have to navigate, you can see where you want to go, but you can't get there. So again, just another thing to uh, just play with your head a little bit, uh, which is perfect for a selection. And they'll do this like any, you know, any time of the year. So it could be fucking absolutely freezing water. Are you in a, in a wetsuit? You are uh, yeah. for that particular one. Yeah, yeah. only because... I mean, it's an added safety factor of having a bit of buoyancy. Um, it's hard to have safety crap. I mean, having been the other side of selection and and run a number of them now, um, having someone in a wetsuit obviously keeps them on the surface um, far easier due to the buoyancy. So it's a little bit of a safety factor there too. Yeah, but you also look like a giant seal. Yeah, you do. Yeah, especially when you've got 20 <laughs> other giant seals around you. Um, and obviously, we've been down that path with Paul, so I'm sure we might get to that a bit later. Yeah, we uh, definitely um, uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's, like I said, with my fear of sharks, that was always something that I was aware of. So I was happy to sort of sit in the middle of the pack rather than sit on the edges. Um, and I even back in the day with my surf club sort of racing, I was happy to sit with the pack for most of the race. And then when we were heading on our way into shore, I'd sort of put the foot down just because they're fucking out there. <laughs> They're out there and they want to eat me. Yeah, and, and just in regards to that, just let's talk about your complete career when it comes to that. Did you have any encounters with sharks? Like, is it? Look, none None that I can say 100% was a shark, um, only because uh, I didn't see them. I just felt them um, in terms <laughs> of, yeah, it's, that's fucking not good, mate. That was worse. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, so Shoalwater Bay, um, so North Queensland, we do quite a bit of explosives and underwater explosive training up there. Uh, and the water is generally quite turbulent, uh, massive tides again, and a lot of um, like blackout diving effectively. So you'll be sitting there uh, wiring in um, some demolitions and it's not uncommon for someone to get out of the water and go, I don't know what it was, but something smacked me. 
uh, and they've come to the surface because it smacked them hard enough that it's moved them away from their job and they can't find what they were doing. So they have to come to the surface. Uh, yeah, so I had to come to the surface, uh, reorientate myself, get sprayed about why the fuck I was on the surface and not doing the job. Uh, I had to explain that something had knocked me away from what I was doing and I couldn't find it. So I had to swim back over to the float that was on, swim down the float, start again. So yeah, mate, it's... Um, it quickly tests your character and you resolve whether you're <laughs> happy to go back under there. But I figure if it hasn't bitten me, then maybe it doesn't want to. That is uh, hectic. Up until yeah. the Paul's incident in 2009, was there any other uh, incidents with sharks? With not, not that I'm aware of, no. Um, definitely not in my time. Um, and like a lot of close calls and like nudges by something and, and people being aware of sharks. And particularly, probably more so now with the amount of, or the way that technology's gone with uh, underwater vehicles and cameras and that sort of stuff, it's quite often the boys will put something in the water and go, oh, fuck, we're about to dive there, but there's a massive shark there. So even underwater sonar, like uh, there's a couple of good pictures of boys that have been like searching a, a mock minefield um, and had a had a target acquired, but that target moved. Um, <laughs> so you, yeah, you'll, you, and you'll see them perfectly, the outline of the shark on a, on a sonar out um so yeah it's fucking there's we, we've been lucky put it that way that is it's crazy because basically I've, I've spoken to a few navy guys obviously got a whole bunch of navy friends and basically there's always pretty much every time i drive over sydney harbour bridge i always think fuck there is guaranteed some cunt at the bottom of that fucking river right now the the harbour just swimming yep. through there you know doing a navy fucking thing and so every day, like there's pretty much someone in the water and they've only had you know a couple of small incidents up until you know paul's yeah, incident. It's just crazy. Yeah, mate. And uh, funnily enough, because uh, me and Paul joined around the same time, obviously he was a changeover, but we joined the Navy around the same time. So we were uh, relatively good mates and both of us had a fear of sharks. So um, <laughs> it was quite ironic, for lack of a better word, that when Paul got whacked, um, that and now you look at him now and he's, that fear is almost uh, gone. Yeah. Um, it cost him an arm and a leg, but my fear is still there. So I'm, I don't think I'd be willing to go down the same route he went, but I don't know how he's overcome that fear having been through the process. Yeah, mate, he dies with him. And yeah, up. mate. He's, he's, he's pretty, hanging out with Will Smith at the same time. Yeah, mate, pretty pretty impressive sort of human to uh, to have that happen and then go, well, I'm going to get back in the water and here we go again. Yeah, yeah which is absolutely crazy. He's a full-on advocate for sharks and yeah, conservation, man, which, is, which is awesome. Because again, yeah. like this kind of proves the whole theory of you know how bad sharks are. They're not really that bad because you know you guys are – living proof of it. You guys are under the water constantly swimming yeah. four or five Ks on your back looking like seals and, you know, it's it's a rare occurrence. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the amount of time that I've spent in the water through my life, you would expect that uh, if it was going to happen, it probably would happen to me or someone like me and it hasn't It hasn't yet. I mean, yeah. you look at surface, surface all the time on Queensland, South Coast, New South Wales, North Coast. It's, I guess it's where you are and what type of shark's there and yeah, who knows. Fuck, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I jumped into, um, I did a water jump into Jarvis Bay. Yeah. Two water jumps and fuck, I, I remember there was shark sightings like a week earlier. I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I remember cruising in there on a Mindhunter uh, early on in my career, sort of 2007-ish. Uh, and there was a huge school of hammerheads and I was like, for fuck's sake, like this is not what I need. Um, I actually, down at JB, we were there for a workup uh, and I was the, Mine countermeasure diver, so I was going down to search for, uh, again, a mock sea mine. And it wasn't long after Paul had been attacked and my fears had sort of come through a bit more. Uh, and we are in the boat and I was supposed to get the water as, I don't know what time of night it was, fuck, or 
football morning, who knows? Um, and I just had almost frozen with with fear. Uh, and I was like, I don't don't know whether I can actually get in and do the job. Uh, and one of the young fellas, uh, Fabs, actually got in and did it. Uh, and I sat there the whole time and I was like, well, fuck, if he dies, it's my fault. Like, I should be the one in there. It's just because I'm a fucking coward. And, and, and this fear had taken over me. And, I, and that day I was like, that'll never happen again. I'll always get in and do the job because I'm not willing to let one of my mates get smashed, snapped in half for, for something that I was too scared to do as such. Yeah. So that was um, that was a pretty good turning point for me. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a comfortable one, but you learn from these mistakes and uh, that was one for me, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, just quickly, like before you move on, mate, just the technology, I'm sure. There's no real technology to like shark avoidance. I know there's a lot of stuff <laughs> out there that they claim, that, you know, shark avoidance, but it's uh, definitely not. Yeah, and again, sort of the the pool incident uh, led us down the route of uh, shark shields, which were effectively a battery with an antenna. Sort of, thir- there was one that was about thirty centimeters long, and another one that was about ninety centimeters long, uh, which were good in theory until we started employing them with some of the other stuff that we do. Uh, and you'd have sort of guys stacked up on top of each other uh, with the aerials sort of hanging down, and then they'd shock the guy that's below you. So everyone would be getting smacked <laughs> by these aerials. So they quickly got shelved. Uh, we went back to the Sort of just hope and hope and pray that it doesn't happen. <laughs> just hope and pray. <laughs> yeah, mate. So you finished that uh, selection course. You've obviously get you're successful. What happens from there? You move on to again more like a reinforcement cycle type thing. Exactly, mate. Yeah. So that's where you start your clearance diving course, the formal formal course as such. So that uh, previous scuba diving course that I mentioned, that's open to anyone in the navy. So anyone of any any rank or rate or job profile can come and do that. And it allows um, just a, a diving capability for the ship, uh, I guess a low-level diving capability. Um, so then finish selection and enter that, I guess, Rio for lack of uh, a lack of a better word. We don't really refer to it as a Rio because it's slightly different, but that's actually a diving course um, as a formal package. So that's rebreathers, that's Puro 2, deep diving, helmet diving, welding, uh, Maritime tactical operations, so the sort of sneaky, sneaky swimming, um, mine countermeasures, so uh, learning to how to inter- uh, find and interrogate uh, sea mines, so the whole gamut, and then land-based DOD as well. Yeah, right. You're getting deployed out of torpedo tubes and stuff like that. Is it? Is that happening no, in movies? No, that that does happen definitely, but not on. That's more of a on the job training type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. um, yeah so that's I guess. You look at the course as very, I guess, basic building blocks that a lot of them are um, advanced upon once you get onto the teams. And how did you find that the divers course, the whole package itself? Did you did you struggle with anything? Without blowing my own whistle, not really. Again, it was in the water. So whenever I was in the water, I was happy. And I would prefer to be there because it's better than – sitting on the boat or on the wharf or something where an instructor can sit there and question you again about that tab data bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if I was underwater, no one could yell at me. No one could make me do push-ups. Uh, it was just my sort of happy place. <laughs> yeah. Other other than the sharks, I'd prefer to deal with the sharks than the instructors at that stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, mate. So um, I did I, – I really enjoyed it. And the guys, the five guys that I did course and completed course with were and still my best mates to today. So – I was quite blessed to to have them around me that we sort of 
there was nothing that we wouldn't be able to do if we sort of did it together, which is kind of cheesy, but it was also very true at the same time. Like if one of us got in the shit, the other one would cover us, whether that was at work, on the weekend, whatever it was. Um, so no, it was really good. Now we know that, you know, down the track, you guys um, basically work with uh, two commando at uh, Holsworthy. In- yeah. As part of the tactical assault group uh, east side of things, during your uh, divers training, did you do? Do you do like a shooting package or anything like that? No. So the only, I guess, to allow that uh, tag um, line would be that we once again you're other teams you'll do a what we called uh, CDSEC at the time. I'm not 100 percent sure what it's called now, but it was a clearance diver skills enhancement course, which effectively allowed us to somewhat improve our weapon skills because they weren't necessarily on point with the guys are at two commando noting that's they do that day in day out whereas most of the time we spend underwater uh weapons uh come into it a little bit here and there but not as much as what an army guy would uh would have his hands on a weapon yeah so yeah we'd um we'd do that course that was again a two to three week course and that would come just before a CQB course to get you up to a, a standard that you could then attend that course yeah gotcha so just we're probably going forward a bit, but in regards to the tactical assault group east side of uh, capability, having clearance divers there, obviously you guys, basically anything that becomes waterborne operations, you guys kind of are the the leaders for it. Yeah, that's right. And I guess I don't want to talk too much out of shop because I didn't spend any time out of tag, although I have um, a lot of very close friends that have been, that are there, that uh, will go there. So I've got a fair bit of insight. Um. And yeah, so it allows that, I guess, the ADF as such to have uh, an extra ability to insert into whatever whatever's going on that they need to use those guys for. Um, there's that maritime capability, whether it's uh, on a on a vessel at sea or a stronghold that's somewhere around around a maritime environment, they can insert uh, using using their skills that uh, the army may not have. Mate, yeah. So again, mate, you finished this, you know. Reinforcement cycle, as I'd call it. Um, then you get posted 2006. And this is you. You're badged. What do they give you? I heard you get like yeah, a, yeah. you get like your O rings or some shit. Ah, uh, they. Uh, there's nothing I guess formal other than the badge. But the boys love wearing some O rings over their watch um, for whatever reason. It protects a face or whatever. I never never really got into that. But um, there's a few sort of um, trophies that the boys like to wear here and there. Um, but yeah, effectively you get your clearance diving badge, which is your rate badge. Um, and that's your, that's your formal ceremony, certificate, high five, slap on the bum and way you go to whatever your posting is. Yeah. Right. So you get posted 2006. Where, where do you go? Yeah. So I go to the mighty warship Gascoigne as my first posting, which was a, a mine hunter. So a smaller vessel within what people would understand as a Navy, Navy warship. Uh, so it's only sort of 52 odd meters long. I think it was. You're looking at about 35 to, I guess, 35 to 50-odd crew, so quite small. Um, what's a, what's, sorry, what's a made of glass to withstand, withstand sort of a sea. What's that, sorry? So what, what was it, uh, Cordy? I'm just going to quickly Google it and have a quick look. The ship. HMAS Gascoigne. HA. Yeah. A mine hunter. Yeah, right. I'd say it's only a small, kind of like a little patrol boat type size. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Just, I'd say slightly bigger than a patrol boat. Yeah. So that's a pretty step. Yeah. 
that's a pretty standard posting for clearance divers, um, being that it's a mine hunter. So if and when they find it, uh, the theory is that the divers will go in and prosecute it and either detonate it, move it, make it safe. All the options are there. Um, so that was good. Um, I was happy to go to sea. I kind of joined the Navy uh, with that idea that once you're qualified, that's what everyone does. Um, so that was, yeah, I had a great time on there. We uh, spent a lot of time doing border patrol, illegal fishing patrols, yep. uh, shot it straight up to Singapore. So that was my first sort of overseas gig, which, yeah, so a lot of good things happened. And I'm guessing being a swimmer, seasickness wasn't a thing? Um, it wasn't really, but I, I don't know whether that's because of swimming or just I was lucky. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really get seasick too bad. Uh, and if you are going to get seasick, it's going to be on one of them because they bounce around oh, uh, horrendously. Yeah. Yeah. I was on two patrol boats and fucking hell. <laughs> I think one of them was like sea state five and it was- Yeah, mate. Oh, fuck. I was the worst yeah. like two days of my life. Yeah, we did a couple of trips down to Melbourne, say, so through Bass Strait, and that really sorts some people out pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, there's fucking spew everywhere. People just lying on the floor because that's the best place to be is to just try and lay flat um, and, and just get through it because there's often – you just got to ride it out. There's fuck all you can do about it. Yeah. And oh. I'm guessing the body gets used to it, though. It does, yeah. Um, you'll see people that get it really bad never really get used to it. Um, you can get injections and all sorts, and like at the end of the day, they're probably just not suited to navy. And you'll generally find that they'll they'll move on to something else because it's just a horrendous feeling. But for most people, yeah, you just sort of get used to it after a few days and crack on. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, and obviously you get the sea legs as well. That's the one thing I experienced. You know, spending yeah. time on the ships, and you get off, and you 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 swaying. You know, it's the side of something. Like, what the fuck's going on here? This is. Weird. I quite enjoy. I've done like a couple of cruises and that sort of stuff, and I hear people say that when they get off, and I look at them like I, I can't relate to it just because I've been on and off ships so yeah. many times that it's just normal. But I look at these people sort of swaying the on land. What, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, fucking sea legs, absolutely <laughs> yeah. crazy experience. Yeah, but. Mate, so how long do you spend on this uh, this ship? So I did, I guess it would have been around 18 months to two years. Um, so I got promoted to Able Seaman on there, which is kind of like, um, well, it's a, it's a given. Uh, once you do 12 months as a seaman, you get, your, you get your Able Seaman badge and it just shows that you've done your, I guess, on-the-job training, you've provided some level of service and you're competent or arguably competent. You get it anyway. I've seen uh, seen many people who maybe, maybe I wasn't competent, I don't know, but I got it anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I did that. Um, yeah, spent most of the time sort of in and out of Darwin, uh, Gove, Weeper, all those sort of places up top, Cairns a lot of the time, um, doing that illegal fishing. Um, and at the time the boat people that were pretty Mm. prolific coming into Australia. So I did quite a bit of that, which was, um, was good to be able to, um, graduate from course and then get up there and be employed almost straight away. Whereas the other guys on my course went to teams and they had a bit of a slower time before they were, they were getting any actual operation exposure in. So I was quite lucky in that regard. Yeah. Right. And you guys were doing a, a lot of fishing as well. Cause that's one thing I noticed uh, with the Navy, they like to get the game rods out and. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Especially when you're up there. I mean, the fishing's epic. So, uh, it's, it's again, almost ironic that you spend the days looking for illegal fishermen. Uh, and then once, yeah, once, you know, once the day is sort of done, you get to four o'clock or whatever, you're like, righto, boys, get your odds out. Uh, obviously, uh, it was legal for us, but um, yeah, it was was always quite entertaining for me to, to look at that. Yeah, yeah. Again, mate, like, yeah, I think we were on a patrol boat and we caught a whole bunch of fish and 
Yeah, mate. Side to the galley and made old mate whipped it all up and it was fucking yeah. fresh. You know, it's great. Yeah, that's it. And well, I mean, again, I look back then, sort of 2007 ish, food on ships. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't fucking good. Like, you look at the boxes of meat that came on and they said, suitable for prisons and military. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. So, so when you're pulling in coral trout and sweet leaf and that sort of stuff, you, you're not complaining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mate, 2008. Yeah. Posting, not entirely sure what it is, but you got another posting, 2008. Yeah, so I think that would have been to back to the clearance or to the clearance diving team for my first time. So Australian clearance diving team one, which is based in Sydney, um, and that's kind of a team for anyone who's kind of like the pinnacle of your career. That's where you want to go. That's that's where all the clearance divers hang out, and that's generally where if if something happens, if shit goes, shit hits the fan, then people are going to deploy from the team. So you want to go there because you want to be employed and you want to be busy. Um, and I fortunately had a pretty good, um, pretty good experience there from my, from the young days all the way through to, to discharging. I was always busy and whenever I was posted there, I was always in and out of Australia or all working within Australia. Yeah. And this, this is land base, is it? This is land it base. It is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, nah, it's at Waterhen, so North Sydney. So just, the just around the corner from Penguin really. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and that's where the mine hunters sort of base out of as well. So yep. you can. I pretty much grabbed my bag from the mine hunter, walked over to the team and said, I'm here. Let's go. Yeah, right. And basically yeah. you guys, as you said, just on standby for anything that pops up uh, operationally. Yeah, mate. Yeah. So at that time, uh, I mean, it was the quiet days for the clearance diving branch. There was no real wars or anything that we were involved in. So it was, um, mate, there was a lot of uh, budgie smugglers and uh, suntans going on, uh, which wasn't bad either, but uh yeah, so it was um, really enjoyable to get in there and sort of find my feet. And then not long after that, the Princess Ashika, which was a um, car and personnel carrier, went down in Tonga. So we got the call up um, to go there and, and go and recover the bodies that went down there. So that's, I mean, that happened within, I saw it on the news again that morning. And then by the afternoon, we were on a, on a plane, touching down in Tonga, um, ready to go. Yeah, and we spoke about this quick just uh, offline, and we spoke about this. I didn't understand, I didn't really know that you guys were involved with body recovery and stuff like that. So again, you've deployed to t- uh, Tonga for this to recover a fucking body. Like yeah, and how do you for that yourself one, for that? You know, what I mean, like it's totally. And how do you train for it? Like, is there is it? Yeah, do, you do train for this? You, you don't. There was like not once uh, within any of my career or training or whatever was I prepared that or even told that you may be dragging people out of the water that have been there for uh, a period of time. Because once you're underwater for a period of time, there's obviously lots of things in the water that like to eat you. You blow up, you get all slimy. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, – unfortunately, I haven't had to do that. That job was uh, was too deep for us to get to, uh, unfortunately. Um, it would have been nice to get the job done for the families, but it is what it is. Sometimes the equipment just doesn't let you do it. Um, but for the other guys that have done those sort of jobs, you look at the – um, recent Amarash 90 that went down, um, five or six years prior to that, the Osprey that went down, um, these guys are doing that relatively regularly. Um, so probably something that should be looked at as far as training, uh, and preparing yeah, guys for. De- I'm sure they could do some training with the cops, I'd say, cause that's what the cops, fuck, I couldn't, couldn't imagine diving on the no. water just to pick up old bodies and that's Yeah, that's orders. right. Yeah. You look at, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'd prefer, whether I'd prefer a sea mine or a dead body, but uh, I, I think a sea mine. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and having and knowing the background of all the stories from from what the guys have actually done, it's, it's not pretty, mate. Like, 
the bodies don't hold together very well when they've no. been in the water for that long. So you, it's more of a scooping them up rather than anything oh, else. That's fucking crazy. That's heavy, mate. Now, after this job, obviously you said it was too deep. So back to back to Sydney, mate. But uh, Rimpak, Hawaii, a bit, of a, a bit of a holiday. Yeah, speaking of uh, suntan speedos, that's, um, <laughs> it, you should almost have to pay to go on those exercises. I reckon it's that good. Um, particularly like we were pretty blessed because we flew over there so we didn't have to sail on a ship we got put up in tent accommodation which I mean people are whinge about but fuck no complaints here Um, tents on Hickam Air Force Base which is um, attached to Pearl Pearl Harbor so got access to all that history as well as you've got um, the sites of Hawaii the sites and uh, experiences of Hawaii to go and enjoy (laughs) The local uh, cuisine, you mean? Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's uh, and in the you're restaurants and in the nightclubs. Obviously, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and you're getting allowances and stuff to go and do this. So, mate, I, I look on that very fondly as an epic trip. One that I, I only went once. You look at some guy. But um, yeah, such a wicked trip. The water's the water's good. Uh, Hang on, mate. We just got a bad uh, connection here. Got it, mate. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, sweet. Hang on, your video's just frozen. Shit, shit connection. Oh, what the fuck's going on now? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, sweet. Mate, um, sorry, mate, just back to Rimpak. You said there was a few guys that got to do this uh, multiple times. Yeah, so, I mean, it rolls around. I think it's every – it's by and every two years, I think it is, off off memory. Um, so if you're in the right place at the right time or you spend enough time at the dive team, then uh, you're backing it up every couple of years, um, which is, yeah, pretty sweet. Unfortunately How long, how long for is it me, over there? Uh, I think it's – it's the best part of six weeks easily. Six weeks? Uh, yeah, mate. It's pretty serious. Um, and then exercise with the Americans are always good because they're a little bit, um, I guess they're a little bit more accepting of risk. So therefore makes yeah. it a bit more fun. Wi-Fi's, Dems days, roping, jumping, all that sort of stuff. They're, they're happy to push the limits a bit more, which makes it uh, far more realistic and far more entertaining for the boys that are doing it. Um, so yeah, unfortunately I, I only got to do it the once, um, I was moving around too much that I, uh, didn't manage to jag another one, but, uh, happy, uh, happy to reminisce on the one that I did. Yeah. When you talk about risk, obviously, as we know, the Australian army is quite risk adverse. Uh, were there times during training where they're like, oh no, you can't do that cause it's too dangerous. And you're like, no, we can do this. Like it's not dangerous, but. Yeah, mate, it's, um, and even I look at like operational jobs that's uh, are very uh, – um, the guys and girls are very equipped and capable of doing it, but the attitude of the organization uh, is is the limiting factor, uh, which is disappointing, particularly when you've got um, people that want to do these jobs and get them done and get on with it, and then they're being told no. That was, um, that was quite a big frustration for me throughout my career. Yeah, fucking wild, isn't it? I don't, I don't yeah, understand it. It's yeah. It's a defense force, you know, you you know, the, the end state, you know, I say is, you know, giving your life for your country. So that's the risk you can take to do the job. So, you know, fuck. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, it was, it was black and white for me that I'd signed that line to, to give my life. And I was more than willing to do that. But, uh, um, I mean, 
Potentially, fortunately, or fortunately for me, then people had put that uh, put put a stopgap in there for me to not be able to do that. Maybe I don't know, um, but yeah, I was I was willing to do it. Um, and if if that's what it took to get some jobs done, then potentially that was that was what the price I would have paid. Yeah, exactly. Now, mate, from there you are posted to the ADF diving school, mate. So this is a bit of a I guess a bit of a boring posting. Yeah, mate. It was it was always quite slow the dive school. I'm slow in terms of. I guess operational intensity for obvious reasons, but uh, very, very busy because we were quite short um, qualified divers. So we were always pushing to get uh, more courses, more people, more this, more that, which uh, took a toll. Took a toll on uh, myself and mostly other instructors at the school. So, in terms of boring, uh, yes, because it's quite monotonous. You're teaching the same stuff day in day out. Um, you know that stuff by the back of your hand, so it can get quite boring in that regards. But in terms of uh, intensity and getting people uh, in and out the door, it was we definitely weren't short of, of people coming through. And ADF Diving School, this is Army as well, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we've got the uh, Army guys. They run their course out of, the, out of there. Um, and that's quite an intimidating course as well. I used to enjoy watching those guys uh, just get wailed on by their instructors. Um, they didn't know which way was up or down or most days. Um, they, the Army guys did a really good job of running their courses, so it was, it was always enjoyable to watch. Now, from there, mate, you get to complete your Explosive Ordnance uh, Reconnaissance course, uh, which obviously allowed you uh, to deploy to Afghan. Because at this stage, like, how many clearance divers are we talking or EOD guys that have deployed to Afghanistan at this stage? By the time, by the time I'd started my training there, we'd probably only had – Three to four, maybe. Wow, so um, that's wild. That's yeah, wild. by the time I was qualified and by the time I found myself over there, I was probably about the, I guess, eighth, ninth, somewhere there. So not huge numbers um, and mainly because, uh, well, a couple of different reasons. Army and Air Force were supplementing, uh, well, Air Force was supplementing Army as well. Army had a few extra guys because they obviously were upping their training. Um, so there just wasn't a massive need for Navy guys to go day in, day out, back to back. Um, but luckily enough, I jagged that. So, uh, yeah, spent that time on co- army course. I managed to backdoor myself onto an army course because I didn't have the rank uh, and therefore the seniority to be able to do the course. You had to be a leading seaman. I was only an able seaman. Um, and I spent a fair bit of time trying to navigate and sort of find how I was going to get my way over there because that's uh, – I use the sporting analogy of that's the grand final, yeah? Like you do all this training and if you never go to war, then – what What's the fuck the did you do? Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. That's the way I look at it. Um, so, yeah, I, I just spent uh, quite a bit of time doing workups for the guys that were going, uh, managed to groom that knowledge out of them and their workups. Then uh, we had an army uh, EOD guy that was attached to the SEAL units over there. So they do a um, rotation into Australia. He came over and I did a lot of work with him and he managed to backdoor me into an army course with whatever strings he pulled. Um, so, yeah, I went in, got that done. Fucking struggled through that because I was junior and all the guys on there were Afghan Iraq vets, so they were all over it. Um, so yeah, I I got it done in the end, but um, how long was this struggled course? struggled through that? These again, probably uh, what are we looking eight? It's probably ten weeks. Yeah, yeah. And just in rega- in regards to it, mate, like is it like the movies where you got to cut the red wire? So it's I guess the prequel to that movie. Um, it's sort of, <laughs> so it's go in, identify what the explosives are. Uh, you could deal with up to a certain diameter, um, of explosive. Uh, and if it's any bigger than that or too complex, i.e. if it's a, if it's a fully covered ID, 
then you're going to uh, hand it over to an EOD tech and they're going to do the job. Um, so it's kind of a, a base, uh, it's a bit more of an introduction, but um, yeah, base level to uh, a real EOD tech. Um, and then you're prepping all the equipment and stuff for when an EOD tech's going to actually walk down the range and do the job. You'll have all their gear ready for them. So if something fucks up, it's probably on you. Yeah, right. Fuck. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, I loved every second of it, but it was definitely one of the more challenging courses of my career. Yeah, yeah. But again, mate, this gives you the ticket, the golden ticket, the yeah. Wonka ticket to get to Afghanistan. Yeah, and that's that's the thing I was hunting. That's And that was the tick in the box that I needed. Um, I've talked a bit about Scotty, uh, Scotty Smith, who uh, I did that course with, and yep. fuck, he was the guy that got me through the course at the end of the day. Um, we became good mates just because... He's a fucking nightmare, like just a great, like just knockabout, classic Aussie dude. Uh, and I was, we sort of hit it off pretty quickly. So I became good mates and uh, he was living in Crow's Nest at the time. So I'd drive to his place, we'd drive into course together, talk shit. And then he'd watch me fail most jobs during the day and we'd go home and he'd tell me why I failed them all. Um, so that was always, um, that was always good for me to hear it from him, how he'd take the piss out of me about what I did that was stupid or whatever. Um, but in the end, we got it through and we got it done and, uh, yeah, I, I take my hat off and thank him for being able to, I guess, um, have such an influence on my career in such a short amount of time that he managed to almost make that career um, by getting me through it. Yep. Now you're posted from there, you're posted to 20 EOD Squadron, which I had no idea fucking existed until I just read it then. Um, I'm yeah, mate. They're, they're all engineers, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time, it was it was all uh, engineers. Uh, and then we started supplementing with a few divers, a few Air Force EOD techs in there. Um, and now they're all gone. It's just back to engineers there. Um, yeah, they're based out of uh, Anogra uh, and was really, it was stood up for um, Afghan because it was just, it was normally there would just be your uh, EOD techs within the ESRs, um, but just because of the need, uh, they stood up 20 OD. Uh, and that's where we started rolling out from, from there for the deployments. Yeah. And what year was this? Uh, I went in 2012. So I got to Brizzy. Yeah, I got Brizzy January 2012. Um, during your training as well, obviously the, they had all that information from Iraq and, you know, more predominantly Afghanistan. Cause at that stage, there was fucking thousands of IDs found thousands found, yeah. you know, a couple yep. hundred fucking strikes. So you guys, we get yep. all that information live to you guys for training as well. Yeah. It was fed back pretty well. Um, and then you look at the workup process for deploying, uh, it was always guys that had just returned from the previous rotation would be coming back and putting the jobs in the ground. So yeah, you couldn't really get any sort of any better or any more current intel uh, and jobs than what we were getting. So it was it was done really well. Um, again, there was again army dominated, but there was a couple of navy guys that had come back. So I'd sit there and have a few beers with them at night and just try and get every little bit of information out of them about what they saw, what they did, what happened, blah blah blah. Because uh, I didn't want to be going in. And they brought some components back, didn't they, from Afghanistan? You know, just to, <laughs> obviously for training purposes. Yeah. Yes, mate. Yeah, Customs that's why I laugh. Um, <laughs> correct. Yep, yep. Um, no names, no core marshals. But um, yeah, there was uh, quite a bit of stuff that came back. Um, and there was also a bit of stuff that came back as uh, some war prizes for the boys. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was good. We knew, we knew exactly what was happening over there and what we're sort of getting ourselves into and where were the busy areas and where were the benign areas and, and all sorts. So yeah, it was we were going in quite well informed, but Again, as you know, that place has a way of 
uh, throwing the unknown mm-hmm. at you. And when you say that, mate, obviously these IEDs, they evolved over the time, you know, from 2007 when we first went there as, you know, regular army to 2012, the IED components pretty much were shit or metal oh. and it was, you know, it was, they made it pretty much undetectable in a, in a way. Yeah, mate. Um, even some of the ones that we found, which I guess you look at were first of kind and we found we found it really hard to describe things. So one was effectively a matchbox uh, with uh, wires glued to the uh, either side of it so that when something touched those wires together. Uh, so we sort of labeled it as a floating IED because it just blew in the wind. It was fine until something crushed it. But then when you say floating, people are like, how is it floating in the air? So yeah, it's it was always evolving. They, they'd watch us and watch our TCPs and how we deal with them. And they'd make alterations and then we'd see what they're doing and we'd change. So it's, it's just cat and mouse. And sooner or later, the, the cat's going to get the mouse. Yeah. Mate, uh, just family side of things. You're married at this stage with, with a kid? Uh, no, I'm not no. married. Uh, we got married in 2014. Again, that date might be wrong and I'll be in the shit for it, but it's around that time. <laughs> uh, but still was born uh, while I was over there. So he was born... Uh, in October, uh, and it was only a few days after we, or yeah, I and we had my team had been blown up. So, uh, yeah, became a dad while I was uh, in the middle of Afghanistan oh, as well. Shit, that's that's we'll definitely touch <laughs> on that, mate, because that's a you know different experience for you know the fuck. It's I was lucky enough to be at home every time you know I had a kid, but yeah, to be overseas yep. and fuck get blown up at the same time, fuck different story. So again, mate, you get your first uh, deployment to Afghanistan. What was the regular infantry unit that you were posting with? I think it was six. six. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, which we had, oh, I guess we were obviously involved with them through like mounted, dismounted patrols and stuff, but we're also our own entity that um, we were just uh, an, an addition to their patrols. So we'd sit in there and just wait. If they needed us, they needed us. If they didn't, they didn't. Uh, more nine times out of 10, just because of how hectic it was at the time, we'd be trundling along with them. Um, so we'd sit, um, jump in and sort of keep to ourselves unless, unless we're needed or unless they need us to, to mate, I was a Navy guy in the desert. You tell me where to point my gun, I'll point it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in regards to that, obviously we know that the Australian army, uh, tries services. There's always that banter, that always that fuck you, the Navy's shit, the yeah. Air Force shit. Was, did you get some of that when you first got over there? Mate, fucking oath I did. <laughs> uh, and it was fairly easy to identify, and identify me because I had a beard, yeah. so- um, yeah, like I just cop it all the time for whatever, <laughs> which like sometimes it worked in my favor that I'd, uh, like roll around with a beard and people would be like, all right, he's an operator from somewhere. Uh, we'll just leave him alone. Uh, and then other times like, oh, that's that fucking Navy guy. <laughs> no, we'll get a shit. We'll fucking, we'll get a shit job for him. Um, but nah, it was, it was really good. It's just, I'm being harmless banter at the end yeah, of the day. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Now, you, as I said, mate, you get this trip. How are you feeling? This is your first, you know, again, it's, it's, it's like a fish out of fucking water, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, mate, I was stoked. Uh, like I said before, it's kind of the, the grand final analogy. I was, I was, I was there and I was looking for work at the end of the day. That's what I'd sort of been on that 12, 18 month journey of trying to find my way to, to get there and get on a plane and get that magic ticket. Uh, and I, and I had, so yeah, I was stoked, uh, until we were sort of, we were flying into TK uh, and at, as you sort of approach the uh, runway, the plane sort of dips quite quickly yeah. to get yourself on, get get them on the ground. That's when I was like, "Hell, fucking hell, this is this is a bit different." Uh, and my team leader, who uh, already been once, he's like, "Oh, 
fuck, what am I doing back here again? So when he said that, I was like, oh, shit, that's a bit unnerving. What's what's going on here? Um, And, yeah, quickly found out why he uh, had that opinion of the place with a few of the events that uh, I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, definitely, mate. And, you know, at this stage, the Defence Force 2012 has lost a whole bunch of guys, uh, multiple, uh, multiple injuries, you know, obviously yeah. from IED strikes as well. So yeah. that's weighing on your yeah. mind. Yeah, man. Um, I had a I had a chat with a, a couple of one of my really good mates that I'd grown up with um, not long before I um, deployed. And we were obviously a few beers deep, and I was a little bit emotional about that. I was like, "Well, this again, I'd signed up like this is this is what you sign the line to do. So this might be the last beer we have." Um, so I was, I was more than prepared for that, but definitely it weighed quite heavily on my mind, particularly with Beck being pregnant, uh, a few changes going on with our life. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience from that point of view of like all the, the gamut of emotions from being stoked that I finally got to go and do this to, well, what if this is the last, last time I get to do this or this or not meet my son or whatever. Yeah, exactly, mate. And it's crazy because we're talking on the 29th of August. Uh, and if anyone knows that listening, you know, on the 29th of August and 30th, it's probably one of the deadliest days for the Australian army. We lost five guys within, you know, 24 hours. Yeah. So, yeah. Fuck, absolutely wild, mate. Now, mate, let, yeah. let's run through this uh, deployment. Let's run through, I guess, I guess the first, you know, time outside the wire, moving on to finding your first fucking IED and then obviously get blown up and multiple yeah. other things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so obviously we got into country, did a few, like, oh, I guess, orientation at TK, spent a few days there and then uh, jumped on a helo out to uh, Fob Hadrian, which is Duraywood province. Um, and yeah, spent a few days there, looked for our, um, when our first patrol was going out, basically, which was just, a, I guess, a nursery patrol with the guys that were outgoing just to get the lay of the land. Uh, and we're going to go and um, occupy an ANA or Afghan army um compound for the night just to sort of get an idea of what's going on build like meet the new commanders in town blah 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 um so that was our first patrol i was on the rear gun which again was something that was a little bit foreign to me um but i wanted to get up there because i was excited to be there and i wanted to see this place and understand a diff- the world that i was in um rolling into that afghan army base probably sort of i don't know four four or five hours to get to just through town and then through the dash uh, rolling in there, and there was a bit of a gunfight going on with the uh, ANA uh, and local Taliban just carrying on, a bit of a skirmish. Nothing nothing really that was – I mean, it's obviously out of the ordinary because you're not used to rolling into a gunfight, but we were far enough away that I wasn't concerned. Nobody else seemed to be concerned, so I just sort of matched the energy of everyone yeah. else and went, well, no one's concerned, so I probably shouldn't be concerned. Um, rolled in. Everything was fine. The ANA guys came back later that Arvo. We sat around, had some tea, and just played cards and talked shit like you do. Um, took in the sights. Uh, was leaning on a Hesco, looking down into the green zone, and uh, had a sniper nearly uh, nearly take our head off, which was um, interesting for your first patrol. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he came. And apparently, he'd been uh, having shots all day. We got there late, Arvo, so weren't really aware of that and never really was uh, communicated to us in in how close they were getting. So they were sort of landing around the base, but nothing too threatening. Um, and this one sort of between me and uh, Goody, the other the other guy uh, in my team, the other EOR, uh, sort of zipped straight between our head. Fucking hell, mate. Like, that's that's when things really kick in. You're like, oh, okay, this this is Afghanistan and, and shit goes wrong here. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so that was a bit of an eye opener. That one. I, I didn't take my helmet off for the rest of the trip after that. <laughs> I learned my lesson pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so that was the first patrol, and um, I guess kind of set the tone a little bit for the rest of the trip. It was um, while you look at six months and is a quite a long time, um, but when you have multiple sort of uh, life threatening incidents, that's quite a long six months. Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, completely understand, and so most yeah. listeners do too, mate. In yeah. regards to finding your first IED, now this is what you went over there to. That was this was your role, mate. So run us through this uh, first day of finding an IED. Yeah, so the first one from memory wasn't that far from. So there was Fob Hadrian, and then there was a, another Afghan, quite a large Afghan army base, almost next door, within sort of I guess it was about a kilometer away. Um, and it was obviously targeting them because it was sitting in a culvert or a um, a hollow under the road, not long, not far out of their base. Um. So, yeah, we got the call up, cruise down there, uh, and it was a, quite a, an easy job, really, to drag it out of the culvert. Um, I think and number two in the team, Jez, at the time, he did that job, um, dragged it out, and then took it out into the desert and blew it up. So, uh, you look at, I guess, uh, explosive ordnance disposal as being quite an uh, in-depth and uh, technical job, but sometimes they really are as simple as dragging something out of the way and putting it somewhere else blowing yeah. up. Um, and ideally, if you can do that with a robot or something like that, then fucking even better. Um, but there's those jobs are few and far between. Yeah. So it was good to, I guess, um, pop the cherry for the team and get that one done um, and crack in for a few more after that. Yeah, right. Fuck. So as you said, like how many up until you got blown up, how many did you encounter before then? Probably, oh, I guess six to seven. Um, and that included a few that were – you could say they were put there, but not so. They often they'll bury them in and then come back later on and mm. set them up completely. So they'll give them a season or so to sort of bed into the ground or whatever. Um, so a few of them that weren't fully prepped, ready to go, but then others that were definitely prepped. And uh, you cut the red wire, or the blue wire, depending on uh, to use that analogy because it's not often that simple. Uh, you cut the wrong one, and uh, you might find yourself not being there anymore. Yeah, right. And when you say you see, you said about you found about seven or so. You guys are prodding out there with your little prodding sticks. Giving them a little, yeah, yeah. Little so, touch and then dig them up. Yeah, exactly, mate. Normally, it'll be the engineers, so the searchers. Uh, they'll generally be the ones that'll find yep. them because um, that's their job. They're out there, and mate, they're a Jedi with that sort of stuff uh, with their mine labs or their metal detectors and their little Chinese um, prodding sticks and whatever else. And even you get the good ones; they'll just look at the ground. They'll go, "There's an ID there," <laughs> uh, and nine times out of ten, they're sp- yeah. they're bang on, um, just because of the disturbed earth, because of like all sorts of stuff that they they go through and like you walk up and they'll be like this, that. You're like, fuck, mate, I'm not going to argue with you. There's 100% something there. It could have just been that someone buried a dog shit, but nine times out of 10 over there, it's an yeah. ID. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's exactly how it went. Um, and then we'd go and do our thing, whether it's uh, whether you got the ability. And over there, a lot of times because it is roadside bombs, they're generally flat areas, so you can employ a robot a lot of time to make that, give yourself that separation. Um, but, once that robot gets blown up, yeah, you're sort of on your own and it's your turn to walk yeah, down there. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yeah. Did you have the full, uh, you know, the full fucking suit? Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, we had that on board. Well, we we had it available to us, but, <laughs> mate, yeah, you normally tread on your own dick by putting it on because it's, it's so hot yeah. over there. Mate, you're just like that thing you're looking at about, anyway, depending on the size, sort of 65 to 85 kilos worth of armor and, 
and suit. Uh, and yes, it's got air conditioning and that sort of stuff, but it, it doesn't cut the mustard. You'll spear in pretty quickly yeah. if you're in it too and long. If it's a, you know, fuck, 10 to 15 kilo fucking charge, you're probably, probably not going to survive anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're de- once you're over the top of it, you're, yeah, you're brown bed. <laughs> if that thing goes, you yeah. The suit's just good to hold you together by the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Mates, again, uh, mate, let's move on to this getting blown up. What, what's going on here, mate? Yeah. Not too close. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'd actually, so I'd, I'd suggest, and there's no in reporting this, but uh, we'd, we'd actually occupied an Afghan army base again just down the road from where it happened. Um, and we'd, We'd sort of done a hard occupy that night because there'd been a green on blue in another um, area. So we, once we'd sort of were aware of that, we sort of took the base, took the weapons and just like, I guess, nicely told them that they'll be staying in one certain area with no weapons until we leave. Um, So we left early that next morning uh, and probably only buck 500 meters from that Afghan army base is where we... um, well, I'll say disarmed an ID, and by disarmed, I mean drove over the top of it and got blown up. Um, it's a quick way of doing it. <laughs> that's right, mate. It's heaps easier if you do it that way. You don't if there's not much thinking, you just get it done. Um, yeah. So um, whether they, whether Taliban knew were there, whether the Afghan army were involved, who knows? Um, there's a whole lot of things that you could suggest. Uh, either way, the result was the same. Um, so we, what we obviously there's nothing left once it went bang. So the what we believe it was was a 20 liter white box, a yellow palm oil container packed with explosives um, with a, a landmine um, on top of it as a, as a trigger. Um, so, yeah, that sprayed uh, the wheels off the front of the Bushmaster. So, you're looking at about a 200, 250 kilo wheel, wheel block that was gone. Um, and then all the side of the Bushmaster gone, boys inside in the driver and crew we were. Um, Initially, pretty stoked that it all happened, and then quickly fell apart when they uh, the adrenaline wore off, and they had compressed spines and a few minor breaks in there. So they were medevaced out pretty quickly. But everyone in the back, uh, the four of us, so the two EOD techs and the two EOR techs, were um, physically fine. Um, I, I often look back and think about Goody, who uh, again was the other EOR. Uh, he was standing out of the rear gun, so he probably wore it the worst, uh, and. You got those, you know, those like uh, snowboarding dust goggle yeah, things. Yeah. He he came down, he had them and they were tinted, but fuck, you could see the whites of his eyes <laughs> so perfectly. Like, uh, And fair enough, he was shitting himself and I, I don't blame him. Absolutely incredible, the uh, master, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Oh, man. It, yeah. I, I often uh, feel my engineer mates who have been through similar experiences, um, both mounted and dismounted, and they're like, mate, you were blown up in a Bushmaster. It's like doing a fart on a pillow. It doesn't hurt. I was like, well, I beg to differ with that, but um, they are an amazing vehicle um, and definitely have saved a lot of lives. Yeah, fuck, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Now, during yeah. this appointment, mate, you spoke about uh, Scott Smith earlier. Now, during yeah. this appointment, he was, uh, he was killed. So, mate, run us through this occurrence. Yeah, man, this is probably the one of the toughest things for me to, even to this day, to talk about or even think about, which um, oh, I think it should be. Um, he was a very good mate. Um so yeah, not long after we were blown up, we were left out um, in that Afghan army base for a few days because we couldn't get helos to come pick us up. And we had to strip the car so that could get flown back. Uh, so it took a couple of days, and and by that time we, or after that was done, we found ourselves in TK um, for the mandatory sort of medical 
screenings, psych screenings, the ones that you're like, yes, I'm fine, even though you know you're not. Um, so we did all that, and Scotty was uh, was over there at the time. He was uh, with uh, Special Operations Engineer Regiment um, and supporting two commander all the time. So I caught up with him uh, and had a few beers with him, which was really, really quite nice looking back on. Um, because if I hadn't been blown up, I wouldn't have that opportunity to hang out with him over there and for the what turned out to be the last time. Um, so yeah, as a as that sort of wound up, I had a couple of beers with him. I ended up flying back out to Fob Hadrian and cracking on uh with with patrols and work and whatever else was going on. Uh, and one day, uh, the phones got shut down, which is uh pretty much a, a key sign that something bad's happened and probably someone's been killed or at least badly injured. Um, so once that sort of, uh, got communicated around the base, the phones were down, you sort of then wait to what's happened. You've obviously got mates all around the place in different teams and whatever else. So you just wait to hear what unit it was, uh, what, um, yeah, and just wait for those details. Um, and as it sort of came through and having spent a bit of time with Scotty only a few weeks before, I knew the jobs they were doing. I knew what he was doing. Um, so the more that came through, the more that I was like, oh, fuck, I, I'm pretty sure I know who that's going to be. Um, and then once the word came through, yeah, that was pretty, that was a pretty rough day. Fuck, it's, not, it's definitely not a, you know, an easy thing to deal with. And how did that affect you, I guess, on the job? Um, look, I'd, I'd be lying if I say it didn't affect me, but I, I definitely put it down somewhere where it just. I didn't want to acknowledge it because I didn't want it to have that impact on me and the job that I was there to do. And I needed to look after myself as well. So we did a little, I guess, service. Um, Cause obviously the ramp ceremony and everything in TK, we did our own little service in Fob Hadrian. So I spoke there and just uh, did that, paid my respects uh, as did everyone. And then as best as uh, like, just pack it away and deal with that at some other stage. Cause I couldn't acknowledge it at that time just due to, the fact that we were going out the next day or whatever was going on. Um, Which yeah. is crazy, mate. This, this is one thing I want to highlight, uh, you know, with the defence force, et cetera. You know, even the cops probably deal with this as well. You know, you lose someone and you got to fucking crack on the next day. That's it. You know, crack yeah. on. That's – Yeah, mate. War doesn't stop for you. Uh, you got to fucking keep going forward. Mate, exactly right. Like, uh, if you let that take over you, then it's probably you or one of your team or someone else or and, – and that happens – all through Afghanistan, like there was people all through Afghanistan that knew Scotty just as well as everyone else that is, that is killed over there, that they're known uh, throughout that country. So uh, you can't acknowledge the loss. You have to crack on, do your job. Otherwise, the worst is going to happen. Like I said, if not to you, then the person standing next to you. So it was, um, yeah, challenging to, to move on. I, um, My whole team knew Scotty in varying degrees of um, – how close they were with him. Uh, so it, took, it hit us quite hard. Uh, he was over there doing the exact same job as me, but uh, in, in an SF role. So I understood his role in, intimately and I knew Scotty uh, very well as well. So yeah, it was fucking, it was a tough one. Yeah, mate, of course, of course. Now, during this deployment, you know, just reading at the, you know, you're reading your bio, mate, you ne- nearly shot a kid. What's the, what's going on here? Yeah. Mate? Yeah, mate, that's um, that's one that I look back on and think, fuck, that day could have gone very differently very quickly. So dismounted patrol just through a, um, a village in the green zone. 
And uh, as as we're sort of walking down, the terrain sort of went down into a riverbed. But as it went down this path, it turned left uh, through past a um, Afghan house, like a mud brick house with big mud walls. So the wall started off quite shallow, but then as the terrain went down, the wall got higher. So most of the patrol that was in front of me, because we're again in addition and in an EOD role, so we they'd have the gunfighters, the grunts and stuff up the front, and then we'd be at the back, just take out the rear until something something got found. Uh, so I was watching, uh, I was sort of on this high ground watching these kids dart in and out of this house, uh, and were on the roof looking down on this patrol, and I could see they had things in their hand, but I wasn't fully aware of what they were, and I sort of gave them the benefit of the doubt that they weren't doing anything that was sort of malicious. Uh, and as I was watching them, they'd sort of walk over, look down at these guys, then run back, and I was like, fuck. I'd, so I'd yell at them, tell them, fucking stay inside, point my rifle at them, nothing. So I was like, okay, well, we'll just see how this plays out. And then one of them threw something down the side of the wall, and I was like, oh, that's when my world came crumbling down. I was 100% sure that was a grenade, and I was supposed to shoot this kid. And for whatever reason, whether it's call it gut instinct, I, I don't know. I didn't. Uh, and then I heard someone on the radio go, oh, that cunt's throwing rocks at us. Uh, and that's the point where I was like, fuck. Mate, like, I, I don't know whether I was relieved or whether I, I still don't know whether I was relieved or whether I should have shot that kid. Like, it's just such a, uh, you get put in these situations where, like, one outcome is good. I, I didn't shoot him. Or the other one I did, and he had a rock in his hand. And then I'm, Sitting, sitting somewhere, probably in prison, uh, for murdering some poor Afghan kid. So yeah, that was um, another bit of a bit of an eye opener. That really, you really have to. It's like these guys that are over there aren't just like meatheads with a mm-hmm. rifle. You actually have to have some some ability to understand the situation. And I'm not saying I understood the situation. I really didn't. But I think I just got lucky. Yeah. Again, mate, let's fucking highlight this because you know it, it could have been. You know, let's just say it was a grenade. He throws it, yeah. kills a couple of fucking yep. Aussie soldiers. You didn't shoot. Then it's yeah. fucking, you know, it, it all comes back to you. They're like, fuck, why didn't that fucking Navy shoot? You know exactly, right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And I, like, I still look back at it, like I said, and I'm like, I I still believe that I would have been right if I yeah. shot him. But I, like, if, if wanted, yeah, the, the, the situation would say that I wasn't. Um, so yeah, it's fucking, it's a tough one. And there's fucking multiple occasions like this. This, you know, not, not uh, yeah, just like, on your point. Have, like, this is every other yeah. point. Everyone kind of had these situations like, fuck, I don't know what to do here. Like, fuck, I can't, yeah. you know, fuck. Within yeah. the rules of engagement, I'm probably right to fucking shoot this prick. But if, if yeah. I don't, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, like shit happens every every day. Um, and everyone would have a story similar to that that would say, if I'd done this, I feel like I would have done the right thing. But- uh, in a court of law or whatever, then I would have been That's it. charged That's with murder. It, the journos would have been writing books about you. Yeah, correct, mate. <laughs> exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Again, mate, going back, you said your uh, son was born during this time of you in Afghanistan. Now, this is, you know, yeah. this again, this is another highlighting point here, you know. You're, yeah. you're in Afghanistan. You've been blown up. You've almost shot a kid. You know, you've lost one of your mates. Your wife's back at um, you. Mrs. Wife, no, it wasn't wife. No, 2014. Nah, Mrs. Yep. of the time, Mrs. yeah, time, yep. not 2014. Yeah, um, yeah. Giving birth to your child, mate. This is you know, how do you deal with this? Yeah, like, what was the you know the communication side of thing? You know, we know for a fact that the Fuck communication man. was shit when you're out field. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the the fucking roller coaster emotions. That, like I said, that 
Six months doesn't sound like a long time, but when all this shit goes on, it feels like a real long time. Um, yeah, so it was a conversation that me and Beck had had, obviously, prior to me deploying. And fortunately for her, being a career um, Navy, Navy girl, she fully understood. She knew that like she'd done deployments. She had wanted to do more. She does want, but did want to do more. Um, so she, she understood why, why I wanted to go. So it wasn't really even a conversation. It was just an expectation that I would go. We both, we both had succumbed to that. Um, and then when she got pregnant, we're like, okay, well, does this change anything? Yes, no, maybe. Um, I guess looking back, probably a little bit selfish on my behalf, but you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know what being a dad was. I didn't know what a birth of a child was like all that sort of stuff was, I just prepared for this, this point in time for so long that the birth was not even, it, it didn't even come up on my radar as such because I just didn't, didn't understand it. Um, and yeah, so not long, let me get my dates right. Yeah. Not long after I was blown up, uh, and after we'd lost Scotty, then steel, uh, steel came into the world. So the, my team was out on a, just a local patrol somewhere, but I stayed back, uh, in Hadrian. They were just, uh, out for the day and come back to a, I think it was to a local political person's house or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I stayed back and listened to Beck give birth on the phone from, from, uh, Bob Hadrian. Uh, she was in hospital, had a little photo of me there and she had her parents and auntie and stuff in the, in the delivery room with her. And, and yeah, that was, that was sort of how it played out. That's well, mate. That's, you know, yeah. that phone just. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, do you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything for the world. Like I, I don't feel like I missed out. Um, I never, I've never, we've only got the one son and we're only going to have one child. So I don't, I don't know what I missed out. So I don't necessarily uh, feel like I've missed out on anything. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's just part of our story yeah, mate, now. It's a great, great story, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, mate, you, you didn't miss much. It's, it's fucking, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> so untold. Mate, I mean, yeah, it's like watching an alien get, you know, come out. It's fucking weird. Yeah, and uh, and like most of my navy uh, brethren say, you just got to stay at the bow end anyway because you don't want to see what's happening down the other end. So, um, yeah. So I mean, to go to Afgh- Afghanistan and miss that is probably a bit extreme, but uh, I mean, yeah, that was all. It was all good, and uh, even coming back, uh, so uh, flying into Brizzy Airport, um, Beck was there with Steel, yeah, and she awesome. sort of handed 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 over this little kid that I had no real connection to, no no paternal feeling to, uh, it was really, really strange. It just felt like someone else's kid. Cause I had, I, I just hadn't bonded. I was away with workups and deployments for most of the birth, the, um, pregnancy, missed the birth and then came home to this three-year-old fucking crying kid. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was difficult in itself to start that, um, bonding sort of piece, but it didn't take long. How, I mean, you change a few now. Sorry. How he was sorry, three months, did you say? Yeah, it was yeah, just under three yeah, months old when yeah. I came back. Yeah, so somewhat, somewhat coherent. You know, they they kind of have a little idea of what's going on in the world, type thing. Bit better, bit yeah, better, yeah, 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 a bit better. Yeah. Um. So yeah, once I mean, you look at us now, and we don't leave each other alone. I don't, I don't know whether that's got something to do with it or not, but we have a great relationship now. He's eleven in a few weeks' time, so um, now nah, all is good, and I, I wouldn't change anything to the world. Yeah. Hang on, mate. Sorry. You're right. <laughs> this fucking cough's killing me, mate. Uh, yeah. I just want to again another highlighting point here. Women, now wife, obviously she gave up her career 
to know, birth your child, allow you to go to Afghanistan and pursue your career. Um, you know, uh. That's one thing I just want to encapsulate and enshrine is women. Like, uh, you know, we're right. destroying them these days, which is which is absolutely – us men are destroying them by becoming them. Yep. Which yep. is fucked. Yep. But we just yep. need to highlight that, you know, she's given up her career to basically, you know, birth your child and be a, be a mum, mm. which is, you know, a beautiful thing. Yeah, mate. And I guess, like I said earlier on, she took on that, I guess, for lack of a better word, because I don't think many mother would call it a burden, but that burden of motherhood to allow the husband, father, partner, whatever they are, to then go and follow their career is that's a massive sacrifice. Um, And she did it without even fucking thinking about it, without even having a conversation. It was just uh, all right, well, that's what we're doing. So that's what I need to do to, to keep our family going forward. And, and that's what she yeah. did. Uh, and she, she fucking did that multiple times through cancer surgeries and fucking all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, she's, I'll take my hat off to her. She's a tough little yeah, woman. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Now from, so 2012 December is when you get back to Australia. Is that right? Yep. yep. And how are you feeling, yep. mate? You, you know, again, you lost your mate, uh, Scott in Afghanistan. You had all these Emotions, all these different experiences in Afghanistan, which is not your atypical. How old are you? Sorry, at this stage, twenty-five. You know, most twenty-five-year-olds are fucking bricklaying or yeah, you know, know, chippy or something, and go on the pub every day. Yeah, you just come back from a war zone, lost a mate, all those experiences. How did you assimilate or transition back into civvy life, especially in Sydney too? Because it's quite, you know, it's fucking overwhelming. Yeah, Sydney the best times. Yeah. I think, uh, look, probably the best way to sum that up in a couple of words is not very well. Um, a lot of a lot of piss, got on the piss a lot. Um, and that went through for probably the next 15 years because it was just, I just didn't acknowledge what had happened and didn't deal with that very well. Um, but the other, other end of the days, I just threw myself into work. Um, I would just hunt for what the next opportunity was, what the next deployment was, how I would get promoted next, what what I'd need to do, what course I needed to do. Um, and definitely, definitely to the detriment of my own mental health, but not that didn't necessarily play out for some time. Um, yeah, sometime later. I was, I was very successful through my career from that point because the only thing I knew is just throwing myself back into my career. Um, so yeah, I guess I just continued the hunt for whatever that deployment was, uh, whatever that next high was um, in terms of, combat or whatever that, yeah. Yeah, whatever that it's looks like. It's crazy you talk about it because you, it's almost like, like being a functional alcoholic. Um, yeah. You know, even if you're not even on the alcohol or booze, you're like a, a functioning dismembered, you know, dismembered or dis, a broken human being. So you can be a broken human yeah. being on the inside, but on the outside, you're still functional and still doing your job and, you know, uh, obviously taking, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I was doing, mate. Like I, if I wasn't, at work or doing something work-related, then I'd be on the piss, yeah. basically, um, which obviously leads to the challenges of remaining um, competent within your job, but also remaining competent as a husband and a father, um, which I would easily argue that I wasn't competent at any of them in multiple times throughout my career and throughout my relationship. Um, fortunately, like I said, she's a tough woman and she hung around and the Navy couldn't get rid of me because they didn't have enough people. <laughs> so yeah, I got lucky with, with both of them, but it definitely had its, um, it took, took a toll on me and, and that was, 
I, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to lose a career or a, a wife or a son or whatever. So I just kept doing what I thought was doing and just medicating with alcohol and, and cracking That's on. It. That's it. And you know, obviously chasing that next deployment type thing. And, you know, this is a, a big thing for the army. And I guess hopefully this has gone through the Royal Commission and stuff because there's times when people like yourself, you got back, you may have had a few mental issues here and there because, you know, you went through an adverse environment, but you told the psychologists, you know, exactly what they wanted to fucking hear just so you can remain fucking compliant and ready to yeah. fucking roll. Yeah, exactly, mate. And everyone knows what the right answers are and what the wrong answers yeah. are. Um, and unless you want to go out the back door, then you know what the right answers are. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Do you drink much? Oh, a couple of beers a week, if that. Um, yeah, that's that was exactly my my role and my routine for the next 15 or so years of my yeah, career. Yeah, which, again... A medical discharge in those days was kind of like fuck. He's weak. You, you yeah, that's right. Get out. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it didn't happen. Obviously, these days, fuck. People break a finger now and everyone's yeah. medical discharge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I look at like myself. I got medically discharged late last year um, with PTSD, which was obviously hanging around from a multiple different things. Um. Which is fine. I'm happy with that. But then I look and there's a lot of other people in the same mm. boat just from like everyone has a something that happens in their career. Exactly. Like you look at a military military career and nine times out of 10, someone's going to go through something, whether it's a suicide on a ship, which is relatively common to getting blown up in Afghanistan or a helicopter crashing or anything. Fuck. It's, it's not a normal job. So yeah, those things happen. Yeah, mate, you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's uh, definitely not a normal fucking job. That's for sure. Now, mates, from there, so you get back from 2012 trip, you posted to dive school again. 2014, get married, finally. She, mm. You finally yep. fucking had to do it. Yeah, yeah she says she says yes, which uh, I'm still not sure why, but and she's still hanging around, but that's all right. Uh, yeah, so we get married. Um, I go on and do my advanced clear diving yep. course, which um, – Again, I was a little bit junior four, but I put my hand up because I'd had quite a, um, I guess, successful, for lack of a better word, career prior to that. So it sort of allowed me to be to have the skills that uh, would see me be successful through advanced course, particularly the OD course, because I'd been so heavily involved in that. And that's normally the make or break type um, section of your advanced course where you go, where you do your EOD tech course. Um, that's where the the bulk of people have trouble and, and come off course. And what's the advanced stuff? Are we talking torpedo tube shit here? Um, no, where you're talking more supervising of everything. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah. So supervising and then uh, the actual EOD tech side of the house. So the actual, the cutting of the red wire or the blue wire, um, for that analogy, yeah. um, ra- rather than just the, like I was in Afghanistan, which um, is more of the uh, reconnaissance tool prep um, sort of two IC or not two IC understudy type role. Yeah, man. I know. I keep talking about torpedo tubes only because of the U.S. Navy SEALs. Have you done it? Have you yeah. done it? I haven't. No. No, I haven't done it. No, I haven't done any swimmer escape or swimmer release stuff. Um, yeah, it's a touchy one. It's it's a bit of an SF World One for us at the moment. Um, whether we start, we used to do it all the time. It's gone away a little bit. I suggest that it's noting the current climate and the warfare that's going on at the moment yeah. and orcas deals and that sort of stuff. I suggest that it's probably going to be coming back. Yeah, so. it's pretty fucking wild, that's for sure. Yeah. Mates, yeah. so you complete that uh, that course. That's 2016. In this time, you know, again, your PTSD, your discharge eventually for PTSD, how's your 
you're just boozing on the booze. Pretty much. How, how's your relationship yep. with your wife and your child? Um, with Steel, really good. Always really good. Um, with Beck, um, I guess turbulent is probably the right word. Like she can obviously see what I'm doing. She's very well aware of it, but she's also going through her own dramas um, and dealing with them in almost a similar way, which fuck makes us sound like pretty average parents, but uh, <laughs> I promise we're not. Um, yeah. So Beck got a cancer diagnosis in there as well. Uh, nearly lost her life there. Jeez. She's dealt with multiple suicides being a first responder for that. So she's got her own uh, demons and stuff that she's dealing with. So we're, we're almost looking at each other in the mirror going, fuck, what are you doing dealing with it like that? And then I look at her and I'm like, I'm doing the same yeah. shit. Which I, I guess um, in a way is a positive, you know, you both been Navy because you both understand exactly the yeah, job. Yeah, I, I truly believe that. I don't think if we were, if Beck was, a, city, yeah. I don't know, yeah, a civvy doing yeah. anything else, she would have looked at me and gone, I'm yeah, fucking out of here. This guy's fucking cooked. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to argue with her because I'm, Arguably, I was, um, or am. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, we just we just made it work. We had to, um, and we we're both very committed to each other and to steel. So we just we just fucking figured it out. Like, yes, we'd get on the piss or whatever, but one of us one of us would always be sober. Or and when I say sober, one of us would always be going through a good patch, while generally the other one would be going through a bad patch or whatever. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, it did nearly lead to the end of our relationship a few times, but we, we nutted it out and now we're probably in the best place we've ever been. So, you fucking deal with the tough times to get to the good ones, yeah, I guess. exactly, mate. That's awesome. And so, during that 16, 2016 period uh, for the next couple of years, you're just in and out of postings, doing a Bachelor of Organisational Leadership as well. Bit of study. Yeah. Yeah, mate. You've got to, like, again just threw myself into my career, whatever I could do to keep my head going, keep me busy and take my mind off other things. And that's what I do. Um, so a bit of study, you got that. Um, and at the time I was at the dive school and I, um, I didn't really, uh, align with what the leadership thought was, uh, was the right thing to be doing. So I sort of, um, yeah, threw myself into other places, study and sort of remove myself from work, turn up and do, do what I needed to do at work. But, um, quickly realized that as you come, as rank comes as a sailor um, or a soldier or whatever, that you don't, your influence on people doesn't change. Yeah. You're just another bear. You're still a bear bum in the seat, in the, in the shower. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, which, yeah, was disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Mate, from there, posted back to the teams. However, quick yeah. uh, loan posting to HMS Arunta. That's the ship, that's yeah. the ship I was actually on, Arunta. Yeah, oh, was it? back in 2004. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I did, um, I guess the best part of 12 months once workups and stuff were done. Uh, and then we deployed for nine months to the Middle East, um, on looking, doing drug interdiction, uh, weapons interdiction through the Middle East and African coastline. And that's a, as an EOD yeah. advisor. I was, yeah. So I guess when the way that it was looked at is if you're moving millions of dollars worth of hash, heroin, that sort of stuff, then it makes sense to protect that with uh, IDs, explosives, whatever, booby traps. Um, although we never came across that, um, that was that was the role that I fulfilled. Um, and then I also slipped in as a, I guess, a mentor for the two um, boarding officers who were quite junior. Um, and I'd had, I had quite a bit of experience with that sort of stuff by then. So 
Um, again, quite a rewarding trip for different reasons, not quite as kinetic or high-end um, sort of ops as what Afghanistan was, but still like Whipple and sort of a billion dollars worth of drugs um, out of these DAOs and stuff. So it was definitely a successful trip and uh, and got to see some pretty sweet spots on that trip too. Yeah. So uh, the Navy does things right when they, in terms of you deploy to Afghanistan, you fly into a shithole and you leave a shithole. Whereas uh, you go with the Navy, you go to India, I don't know, uh, Seychelles, um, where else? Like all these sweet places. Yeah, that, that's uh, a common. Actually, I've, again, made a lot of Navy friends, and they tell me the ports they go to and just hang out. I'll yeah, just disappear for two or three days, turn it on, and crawl yeah, back to yeah, the ship. Yeah, and and like for me, it was good because I needed time away to then continue with that sort of behaviour that I was doing. Like I would work as hard as I could and do as many boardings as I could and and do all the right things. But then once the ship would pull in, I'd go and just get blind yeah. right. Um, just because I needed to, I don't know whether it was process or forget. Yeah, like a disassociation. Reset. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I I look back on that with a little bit of regret that I don't remember a whole lot of these amazing yeah. places that I went yeah. to. Um, but fuck, it was what yeah. it was. That was which, that was the way that I sort of- Yeah, which you know, obviously mm. is a you know, common- uh, signs and symptoms of PTSD, you know, you want to dissociate yeah. from the life that you're living just so you can get boozed up and just forget about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was looking at every boarding, I was planning on finding a booby trap because that's what I had to be prepared for. So I sort of set myself with this uh, intent of what was going to happen or what could happen or be prepared. And then uh, afterwards, I'd have to deal with the come down of that, of um, just setting myself to that. I guess like, Tensioning rubber band. Yeah, at some stage it's going to snap, or you, or you have to take that tension off. And the way that I took tension off is through through alcohol. In regards to the EOD side of things, were any anything during that trip? No, no, no EOD. Um, nothing. Uh, few like few AKs and that sort of stuff, but nothing, nothing of any threat. Just hidden for protection of these, like these guys protecting themselves from pirates and stuff. So nothing, uh, nothing too high end there. Um, and a lot of these guys that are smuggling drugs. You think about like these high end drug dealers and stuff. They're not. These guys are um, generally disabled, really low income people that are paid nothing to just drive this boat somewhere and give it to someone yeah. else. Uh, they're they're like they come from the slums, basically. Like they're just doing it to make yeah. a few dollars. Yeah. Um, so you can definitely see the humanistic side of it there. Like some of the, some of the boats you come across, and there was people on there that were hours if not minutes away from death they were just in that poor repair uh just trying to to make ends meet that's fucking hectic yeah it was it was pretty rough to see some of these people like that and then to just jump back on the boat and go and have dinner and leave them there that was um yeah it was an interesting uh interesting emotional journey as how well long was that that like how long are those deployments that was nine so months nine that months, one that was yeah, the first that's quite long yeah that was the first nine month deployment doing that that's yeah the longest stint yeah. you did on the on on a runter um, longest patrol would have been out from port would have been, I guess, 40 odd days. Oh, shit. That's a long um, time. Yeah. Which is a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then again, I look at, um, things like Afghanistan, you sit in a fob for six months. Yeah. Like, you're not going down, you're not going down to the local mall or anything there. You're not going to, I don't know, go scuba diving in the Seychelles. Like, so, so for that, like people are whinged and I'm like, this isn't that bad. We're getting fed three oh, times a day. There's a gym here. I was about to say like, fuck. 
I'd much yeah. rather spend 40 days on a fucking ship than, than Correct, a fob. Correct, mate. Because, yeah, yeah that's got the yeah. luxury and the comforts and midnighters. Yep. Yeah, yep. You got your phone and computer and fucking DVDs or movies or whatever. So, yeah, life's free. Fuck. So you finished that, mate. You returned back in 2017 and, again, mate, posted back to fucking the dive school again. Yeah, it seemed to be my sort of uh, career pattern. I'd go in between ops and, and then training, um, which suited me because when I was training, uh, we lived not far, so I could spend time with the family that I'd, I'd lost being away. Um, and that's all, that was probably my, I guess, my lowest point in my career, being at the dive school that time. Just again, the way that I saw the clearance diving branch being treated and trained and what what we were allowed to do was a real struggle for me to to know the uh, ability and the competence of the people that were there and then what they were allowed to then do uh, didn't didn't really align with what I thought should be done. Again, that's world according to me, um, but I think I've got enough experience to make that comment. Yeah. Mate, during that time at the school, you specialize uh, in interrogation, aka waterboarding. That's not what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I mean, like I said, I I wasn't really uh, enjoying my time and where where the dive branch was going. So I I looked up to and out to to get away from it because I I just couldn't sit there and and watch it go yep, to shit. Yep. Basically, was my opinion. So I uh, found the Humid program, uh, applied for that, uh, and was accepted through that. Uh, so yeah, found myself back in Brisbane again at one end. Um, on interrogation course and completed that, became an interrogation manager, uh, which was a bit of an eye-opener, to be honest. I mean, I I spent a career playing in the water and like doing all the hard skills as in new tools and that sort of stuff, and then coming in to do the soft skills of working with people uh, and and trying to learn to interrogate people and manipulate them was was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, people are... People are interesting creatures, and uh, to get something out of them that they don't necessarily want to tell you is. Um, but mate, I loved it. It was great yeah. fun. It was a challenge, but it was it was amazing. Yeah. yeah it was. How, how long was that interrogation course? So I shot up to Kanungra, uh interrogation Kanungra. course. Oh yuck! Yeah, yeah, mate. That's uh, yeah. I agree. Um, and that was, I think, again, I'd be. This would be definitely a bit more of a guess, but I think that was kind of the I. Uh, Three three months, oh, sort so of. That's pretty extensive. Yeah, yeah, because you do quite a few lead up ones, like um, intelligence interviewing and a few other sort of week long courses, just to tick the box to get onto your actual interrogation course. Um, this is with the, with the then, army yeah. as well. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. So again, sort of that tri service environment. So we had, I think there was, I was the only navy guy. There was a Raffi. It was only one Raffi and then a couple other army guys. So, yeah, it was, um, again, great course, very, very challenging. It had another screening for that, which was only a two-day screening, but it was. it's not about what you can put up with. It's more about how you react to things. Um, I won't talk too much about that because they hold a pretty yeah, close hold, yeah. but um, it's more, I guess, personal traits and that type of thing they're looking for there um, rather than your ability to withstand someone fucking screaming at you and running and swimming long distances. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, very, very professional sort of, as you'd expect from a, a wing of an intelligence corps. Um, yeah. Really, really good experience. And then fortunately got the uh, 
got a Guernsey to go and do the withdrawal of Afghanistan. Uh, when that all went yeah, down. Yeah, so obviously Sleepy Joe's decided to pull out fucking the whole entire military overnight and yep. the you know, the withdrawal happens. What, what's happening here? You guys get the call up to head out to AMAB, uh, Dubai. And, yep. uh, yeah. Like what's, what's your role? So we, I guess as the rest of the defense force was sort of looking at it, what the fuck's going to happen here and how is this going to go down? Uh, we were the same and sort of almost in a preparation phase for, for deploying, even though we weren't sure whether we were, um, so we went as an interrogation unit. However, we weren't there to interrogate because, well, you simply look at it, they weren't our enemy. They were just Afghanis that were, and generally, if you look at Terps and that sort of stuff, guys that were more allies to us than anything else. Um, so we were there pretty much just to screen who was coming back and who'd been taken out of country. Um, and that could have been as simple as them providing passports or some sort of identification down to people that had literally a shirt and a pair of shorts, and that's all they left with. So trying to figure out who the fuck was who, uh, who they belonged to and where they should go, whether that's back to Australia, back to Afghanistan, or an intermediary country, Um, which, I mean, came with its challenges. Fortunately, I'd been there some years before, so I sort of understood um, what's normal to them in country. Everyone looks and says, oh, it's quite sad that they've lost their kid. And they're like, oh, fuck, I've lost my kid. Like, I'm upset, but I've got 17 more that I left in Afghanistan. Um, so I was really, I mean, and that's not a normal comment. I acknowledge that, but that's that's normal to their culture and their lives. Like, they live far different to what we would live in Australia. So, yeah, uh, figuring out who was who. There was obviously uh, a few there that we deemed were probably needed a little bit more to be uh, looked at. So handed them over to some other government agencies to try and figure out who they were and what, what should happen with them. Um, and that was sort of our job done. Once we made our recommendations, then, um, yeah, that would move on to whether they were getting their plane flight back to Australia or they'd get their plane flight back to be questioned by someone and else. And how many, how many people were processed, the ish? Oh, man. Um, I should have fucking tab data. I told Ta- you I'm so yeah. good at it. Um, I think it was something around the lines of like six and a half thousand people. Like oh, it was a fucking shit. lot. Yeah, man. Like it was, and I, it was a serious amount. So there was in AMAP, which is not a very big uh, base. There was three camps uh, that they had basically taken out all the Australian Defence Force members out and put them in. Uh, they were fucking everywhere. They're like. It was a lot. So, yeah, I, I I couldn't give you an exact number, but it was a lot, and, man. Uh, and we sorry, did, just, sorry, man, I just want to break this down. 6,000 people. Who are these 6,000 people? Are they are they Aussie citizens? Are they? Some. some yeah. So some were, some were as simple as they'd have an Australian passport and the interview would go something like, what the fuck are you doing in Afghanistan? And they'd be saying, I was there to see my family. But Which, which seemed like a very yep. simple answer. Yep. And Yeah, 100 percent like, sweet, mate, well, I guess you get yourself a free plane flight home. Off you yeah. go. Um, and then there would be like one of the, um, I guess one of the lasting memories for me was the Afghan women's soccer team. Um, all, I guess, quite well educated for um, what you would expect from uh, a young lady in Afghanistan. Um, quite talented sports women. And then were just being hunted by the Taliban because they were educated, they were successful, and they were women. Um, so yeah, they, they would also always hang out together and, and play soccer and, and they were, I guess, relatively attractive women too. So they would get a fair bit of, um, 
fair bit of notice from the dudes around. Um, so once we realized who they were, they were relatively easy to process. But then you'd get dudes who are mentally ill, uh, potentially like pedophiles, that sort of stuff. Again, all that sort of stuff that is fairly normal in Afghanistan, but not normal in a Western country. So they'd get a bit more attention and try and just figure out, are you fucking are like a Taliban uh, sympathizer? Are you a fighter? Are you just challenged? What's what's your deal? Um, so some of them were really difficult. Fuck. It's like, did you, were you yeah. doing like biometric test um, scanning as well? Obviously just to- Yeah, all bio rolling. Yep. Make sure they're not fucking Muhammad from Tarrant yep. out that's been fighting against Correct. us. Yeah, and like quite often you'd, you'd get uh, hits on buy and roll, so you'd be like, okay, oh, well, no you've been rolled before. Yeah, like it It actually, like from doing it previously to then doing it like recently, I was like, oh, well, this, this fucking makes sense. It's all coming together now. Might be 10 years later, but um, it all makes sense. Um, so yeah, that made it easy. And a lot of them were just, oh, you've been enrolled in back in this province somewhere with no no nefarious hits. Um, but now and then you get one, you're like, okay, well- you can you can go and chat to someone in Australia because we couldn't we couldn't send them back. We'd already taken them. So to send them back, and then the media wouldn't uh, look too well if we sent someone back and they were beheaded on fucking Al Jazeera. Um, so yeah, we sort of we sort of got the lot. That's crazy to hear you say that. That you know the the defence force is more worried about what the media would say if we sent back a guy that was like, oh fuck, he could be telling there, but he's not. If you send him back, he probably get his head cut off. If he, you know. We're more worried about yeah. what the media's going to say. Now he's in Australia, fucking hanging it down in Lakemba. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, that's right. And I like. I think that our intelligence services are good enough to um, continue screening these guys and watching these guys and probably uh, using them for other things. But uh, it always sits in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, who did we bring back? And who that's crazy. Bring? That's crazy. So, mm. fuck, that could be. Mate, but you look at that, there's a million different ways that people yeah. would get into the country. Like that's, I think what we did was probably the safest way of screening them in terms of, fuck, someone could sail a yacht, land at local beach and here they are. Um, so I, I'm not, I definitely don't want to say that uh, we brought in Osama's brother, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, people slip through the cracks all the time and I think we did a really good job, but hey. You, you don't know when you're under that sort of stress and that sort of pressure to get this done in a timely manner, then fuck, it's just, the holes in the Swiss cheese can line up pretty Yeah, quickly. yeah, fuck. Well, if any of those yeah. dudes are listening, you're, you're planning on plotting something, <laughs> fucking uh, tag, tag to the assault group, he's comes in and flogs you. Yes, mate. They're gonna fucking, yeah, they're going to zip you up. They're going to be knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah, correct, mate. <laughs> fuck, that's, that's, that's crazy, mate. That's crazy. How long were you at AMAD for? Look, it was only... I guess we were there for a total of about 20, yeah, 10 yeah, or 11 days. Yeah. Um, and then as far as ops, fuck, maybe seven or eight. Like it wasn't long. Um, it, once it all sort of wound up, like we hit the ground running and by the time it was done, it was like, all right, you're out the next day. Fuck. Um, so yeah, it was pretty intense sort of time period. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. So you get back to Australia, mate, and uh, you were promoted to chief. Yeah. Yeah, so I was actually promoted while I was over there in AMAP, which, I mean, was nice to get promoted while I'm on ops and whatever else. That was a cool little, I don't know, feather in my cap or something, I suppose. Is that Chief, um, but sorry, also is that meant, Chief Petty Officer? Is that, is that what it is? Yep. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Um, 
so yeah, took that promotion, which uh, dragged dragged me back into the dog branch. I guess um, the sort of prerequisite of taking the promotion was you come back and you'll be the chief of, of maritime EOD at Team One at the diving team. So that was a position that I had always looked at and wanted to do, and sort of held as that uh, Tier One type um, job. That I guess from Afghanistan, that's sort of a hangover that I wanted to be that team leader, and and that was my opportunity to go and do it. Um, unfortunately, the I guess the hangover of the fifteen years that I'd been self medicating with alcohol and all that sort of stuff, and then being put back into that world, it was it just um, just found to be too much for me. And I yeah, that was that was kind of the the beginning of the end. Yeah, right. Did you did your wife start to notice this? You know this change. Um, well, not so much because when I was at one in, uh, obviously we're living in Brizzy, so I left uh, Beck and Steel in Brisbane when I moved back to Sydney to oh, go back to the dive team. So um, that that separation, as well as the pressure of the job, um, was yeah. That just um, like I said, it was the beginning of the end. Um, started drinking heavily. Um, started to, uh, I guess, I was effectively suicidal by the end of it. Fuck that bad. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was it wasn't pretty. And I was living on base. I was living in this fucking little room by myself. It was just all, like I said, all this, all those holes in the Swiss cheese just lined yep, up yep. Um, and got to the point where I found myself sitting on a cliff and I thought, this is probably not the best place to be. Uh, we need to do something about it. Uh, went and spoke to the psych and that's and that pretty much sealed the deal. Kind of identified it within yourself. You're like, fuck, you know, obviously you thought about it. The thoughts about, you know, jumping off this cliff and basically identified it, sat there and thought, fuck, what am I doing? Obviously thought about your wife, thought about your kid, yeah. which is always a, a big fucking part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's um, it's pretty sobering. Particularly, uh, I mean, Beck is Beck's Beck. She'll get on with life uh, with whatever it throws at her. But to think about leaving your son behind, um, that was that was pretty sobering. And it was the time where I was like, "Well, fuck, you need to pull your finger out." And if that's going to cost you career, then that's probably a little sacrifice. Um, wasn't as coherent a thought at the time, but uh, the. The theory is sounds true. And how were your rank? They were quite uh, accepting of this. Again, mate, if you go back, you know, early two thousands, fuck. If you went to your sergeant and said, "Mate, I'm I'm a bit cooked right now," I'd be like, "Ah, oh, no, can't yeah. fucking." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Out. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a, well, I guess. Look, they were amazing, uh, and I will never say a bad word about the way they treated me. But their hands were tied a little bit after I spoke with that psych and and told that's her it, the story, yeah. and she's like, she's like, mate, you're cooked. You're yeah. fucked. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I put myself in the car, drive myself to work and spoke to the boss and the warrant officer. And yeah, mate, they bent over backwards yeah, for awesome. me. They were amazing. Awesome, like, yeah. I was on a plane, I was on a plane that day to come home and, and be back with my family. Yeah. Um, like I, it, it's not lost on me that I sort of left them in the lurch with one chief short in a fucking high end role. But at the same time, they, they, their consideration wasn't with the job. It was with, with me. Um, so they'll bang right, on. So you start that discharge process out of the mil- uh, military uh, medical discharge, continuing the psych uh, and uh, psychiatrist uh, side of things. Did they put you on any medicines? Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. So they stuck me on meds. Uh, yeah, almost immediately. Um, well, it was that first day, and uh, she's like, "All right, well, you're not leaving here without medication," which didn't sit well with me. Um, I mean, I, I understand it's a tool, but I, I never saw myself as someone needing. Uh, anti-anxiety or antidepressants or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, I was prescribed with them. Um, 
and and took them and yeah the process I mean it got easier I was out of the job which took the pressure off a little bit I didn't have to worry about sending people in to do the jobs that I'd done and and having an understanding of what will probably happen to them um, if they go and do them um, so that uh, that was kind of a pressure release for me almost immediately yeah um, and then being back at home um, being back with the family so now nah, yeah it was. That was definitely what I needed at the time. Um, unfortunately, it cost me the rest of the career, but I'm happy to take that rather than uh, be there and, or not, not be there, be there yeah. and be, be in the ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just I just want to quickly break down the the med side of things. Did did it work for you? Because I know for a fact, you know, mm. meds work for some people. They don't work for some people. I don't think so. Um, I'm not going to say like, yeah. I, I don't have, yeah, I don't think so. Well, I like the work that I do with my psychiatrist and psychologist, more so psychologist, um, is the part that works for me. Like to, um, I'm about to do a series of TMS, which may or may not have some good good outcomes, but doing some MDR. So basically going through all these um, situations and experiences and talking about them in depth and reprocessing them and stuff was, was really good. Um, and I mean, I won't say that I don't have uh, triggers and that sort of stuff still, like I definitely do. Like I get in my pool at home and I think about sharks. Um, I fucking you know, I hear a car backfire and I think I'm being blown up. Um, but that's probably shit that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life, but that's that's fine. Um, at least I'm not fucking self-medicating on the, being on the piss every night. It's just crazy. For you to finish your career abruptly like that never helps either. You know, 18 years in an establishment yeah. and then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, 2021, that's it. It's just fucking yeah. off like that. But again, mate, again, looking at this time and age, I guess the support systems were a lot better than, you know, previously, that's for sure. I think, so. yeah, I think they are and they're not at the same yeah. time. Like the, atti- the attitude of the guys at work and like you said, the sergeant that you go up and say, hey, bro, I'm a bit cooked. And they're like, get back on the yeah. tools, mate. Uh, and I think that sort of mentality has definitely changed. I think they're still there to a degree. But it's a lot better than what it used to be. Um, but then you look at fucking DVA systems and open arms and all those sort of things that are, whether they're overworked or underpaid or whatever it is, they're arguably not all that good. Yeah. Oh, fuck, mate. DVA is connected to the government. So that's enough said right there. Yeah. You know I mean, like that's, yeah, that's yeah. the issue we've got yeah. right there. You spoke about, you, know, you said a key word earlier, just, you know, a couple of minutes ago. You said talk, talk about things. You know, you yeah. go to your psychologist, your psychiatrist, and you talk about the process. And, yep. and you're doing podcasts like this, you know, I'm sure it's in some way it's helping you, you know, talk about things and who knows who is going to help down the track as well. You know, there's might be some CD out there that's, you know, scared of sharks and. Yeah. Know. Yeah, that's right. I know I like, I'm a big, I guess advocate's the right word. I don't necessarily like it because as everyone says, I'm an ad- advocate for this or that, but I'll, I'll openly talk about anyone with anyone about anything because if my experiences can make things easier for them, then that's a good thing. Um, for too long, like people, like I did it. I did it for 15 odd years, like bottled shit up, um, didn't tell anyone. Uh, then that bottle, it's kind of like when you shake a Coke bottle and you exp- open it and it fucking explodes and that, that nearly happened. Um, so if I can tell my story or talk to someone about something that makes it easier for them, then I'm happy. Um, I kind of looked at that as a bit of my role towards the end when I was a bit more senior that I was like, I can make things a bit better, a bit easier, a bit 
Um, they're more normal for these people, then I'm kind of done my job. Yeah, mate, exactly, exactly. Mate, we've been chatting for quite some time now, and it's been absolutely fucking yeah. cool. So, you know, again, mate, I've had Paul on, uh, Sam Peters. Had, uh, yeah, Sammy, yeah. Sam yep. Peters on. And, you know, those both guys, they kind of, you know, Sam kind of missed his uh, trips, and obviously Paul got eaten by a fucking mm. shark, so that cut his, <laughs> cut his career short. And it's it's rare to talk to again. You, as you said, you know, there's probably only a handful of you uh, Navy side of things that actually deployed with the infantry and the engineers on the ground in Afghanistan, you know? How many how many do you reckon, like, in total? Um, for Afghan, I reckon there would be definitely no more than 50. That's fucking wild. That's wild. Yeah. 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 And... Jeez, there's not many of them left either. I think I might have even been the last one to leave now, potentially. There wouldn't be many left anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I look at my career as being very blessed. I was lucky to get to the places that I went to, and I, I wouldn't change any of them for the world. I might change the way that I manage the results, but, like, fuck, hindsight's a beautiful yeah, thing, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Um, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I was really blessed. I got to do all the things I wanted to do. I would have done more if I could, um, but you can only, you can't create a war just to go and fight a war, can you? Yeah, unless um, you're America. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we're only America's little brother, so we don't have that power. Yeah. Yeah, mate. So, no, I, yeah, I really appreciate all the, all the stuff I got to Yeah, no, that's awesome. Mate. Good yeah, mate. Yeah, really just inciting, um, exciting to hear the, the life of a CD, especially one that, as I said, deployed with the, with the defer, with the army, I should say, that, you know, the better the better part of the service. <laughs> <laughs> the, the junior, the, the little brother. The little bro- mate, uh, just to tie this off, mate, i got a couple of final questions. Mate, first question, what yeah. advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on, complete any goal they set their mind to and just to crush it in life? Look, I'd, I guess like I did with my Afghan trip, like don't take no for an answer. I was, I was always the most junior. I was always the most experienced and I was always the one that was told, you can't do that because of your rank, because of your experience, because of this, because of that. Fuck that. Don't take no. Just find a way that the answer is going to be yes. Um, if that if that requires backdooring something that maybe you shouldn't have shouldn't be allowed to do and you get the tick in the box, then then go and do it. Because it worked for me. Um yeah. And and always I found it always worked for me, always volunteer. Mm. If someone asks you unless it's for a motorbike course or for snow cams, then don't volunteer. <laughs> but um yeah, if it's if it sounds legit and it's an opportunity, then put your hand up because they generally uh, they generally pay off in the long run. It might be a bit of short term pain, but I think there's uh, there's more long term uh, gain to be to be groomed from it. Yeah, yeah, mate, that's awesome. And just for the listeners, you know, the, we we talk about these motor motorbike courses. You know, back in the yeah. the day, the the instructors would come out and say, who wants to do a motorbike course? And you know, there'd be that one dumb dig that puts his hand up and yeah. <laughs> you stab for guard duty or something, something that's totally yeah. opposite to fucking motorbikes. Yeah. If it sounds like bullshit, it normally is. It probably is. is, yeah. Yeah. Mate, second yeah. question, what is the plans for the future now? You are uh, volunteering with the Clearance Diving Trust and basically just trying to figure out what to do. You know, you've only been out for two, you know, two and a bit years and... Yeah. Look, I couldn't, I can't give you a direct answer to that. The The Clearance Diving Trust is taking up my time at the moment, which is, um, I think, a very valid cause. Um, so just make sure there is that safety net when... Whether it's DVA or defence or whatever, whatever mechanism fails, there's a safety net there for these for these men and women now to to look for and to come and say, "Hey, I need a hand with whatever." So that's that's sort of my passion for the moment. But then, more longer term, I'm I'm not sure. I'm I guess I'm in a blessed position at the moment that I can find something that I'm really passionate about 
instead of just going, all right, I'm going to go and work at Bunnings or Mow Lawns or whatever it is and try and jump through a heap of jobs that I don't really like, I'm looking to find something that that sort of will tie me over for the next 30 odd years of of what I've got to give. Yeah. What, 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 are, so, you, what are you yeah. thinking? Is there anything in the back of your mind? Oh, mate, look, not, not, nothing specific. As long as I, look, I'd like to be out there helping people, but uh, like, geez, I applied to do extras on a movie set the other day. So it could be, fuck, it could be Maybe anything. Actor, yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? I'm the next Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't, look, I, I don't know, mate. Um, yeah. I, I can't I can't give you a definite answer. Yeah. On what was that uh what was that Navy TV show that was on the Sea Patrol? So there you go, mate. Uh, you can be a lead actor on that. That was that was fucking garbage that thing. It was Jeez. it was garbage, but I used to watch it every single day. <laughs> I'd get questioned on it regularly. Yeah, right. Oh, what about this on Sea Patrol? Oh, no, it, just it don't even happen, ask me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mate, yep. Third question. Now outside of being, you know, a, a badass bloody uh clearance diver and you know, outside of being, you know, a tough dude, mate, give us a guilty pleasure or something that people don't know about you. Mate, I'm, I'm a bit of a snacker. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, mate, like any sort of sweets, whether it's chocolate, ice cream, bakery goodies, fucking chocolate, don't, mate, just don't let me, if it's yours, don't let me near it because it won't last. Yeah. Uh, I go to the gym each morning and then by the Anytime Fitness is there, there's a little bakery. <laughs> uh, I walk in the chick site, the usual. Yep, sprinkled chocolate, sprinkled donut. Let's cool. go. Um, so yeah, mate, that's uh, that's my little uh, my little weakness. There always has been. That, that's a funny thing with <coughs> that's a funny thing with uh, anytime fitness is they're always next to something fucking like incredibly. It's like hell, you know. There's there's yeah, the bro, gym yeah. and right no, my anytime there's uh, you know there's fucking KFC, you know yeah fuck, yeah drive past which suits suits me fine every time and it sucks me in every time yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, you, you put in the work, mate. If, I've always said if you uh, you train, you can eat what you want. No, yeah, it's I think that's just me. That's just me making myself. No, feel it better, is, right? mate. It definitely is because yeah. fuck, man, I look at a cheeseburger now and go straight to my hips. <laughs> yeah, that's right, hundred percent, mate. mate. Uh, fourth yeah. question: yeah. favorite, uh, I guess, Navy movie. Oh, Jesus! Or military in general, I suppose is it. It's been a couple of good. Oh, mate, five seven one was a good one. Oh, the old school. That, that was yeah. actually all right. Yeah, um, I can't go past old. Um, what's his name? Under siege. Oh, Steven Seagal. Casey, Casey Ryback. Ste- oh, no, Casey yeah, Ryback. Yeah, Steven Seagal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, Casey you're right, Ryback. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. that was a good movie. Actually, yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, that's an old one. Oldie but a goodie. Fuck, that, that's um, yeah. pushing like early nineties. You get yeah. some titties yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. You do, yeah, hundred percent. I'll miss July or whatever. That's right. Jumps out of the cake and like, yep, yeah, this, this is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> this is Eight me. Year old me. I'm just like, yep, we're maybe, on. Maybe, maybe that's why I joined the Navy. Yeah, then you, you're expecting yeah. titties yeah. coming out of a cake. Yeah, coming out of cakes. Yeah, <laughs> didn't happen. Didn't Funny. happen. It was Beck just, walked, Beck just walked up in the background then, and she's like, "It's Miss July. You're it's right, July. <laughs> mate. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Fuck, I'm gonna have to yeah. watch that movie again now. Yeah, there you oh, go. Classic, absolute right. classic. <laughs> Mate, uh, for whatever reason people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, look, I'm on the socials uh, or Facebook. I've always been sort of anti-social media until recently. I've actually got my real name on there, so Ash Simmons. Um or happy if they punch out through you and you can put put, them, put me in contact with them. Yeah, That's all awesome, good. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Mate, again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, again, mate, I heard your podcast uh, previously and I just thought, fuck, I need to get this guy on. 
Again, mate, yeah. as you said, there's only a handful of guys that have deployed with the mili- with the army uh, overseas to Afghanistan. And you know, during your time, you've blown up and lost a mate and almost shot a kid and multiple other things. So it's absolutely brilliant to hear, mate, and share your story. Not to mention the adversities of PTSD and you know what that brings yeah. because it's crippled. You know, the, our our veterans over the last. For a couple of years, fuck, only a couple of years now, yeah. really. You know, it's really starting to get accepted. Yep. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there, you know, faking it till they make it type thing, but there's actual yeah. genuine guys like yourself that have been through the, you know, been through the wars and uh, experienced it all. And fuck, it's just crazy to hear. Um, but now you're doing well, which is which is a great yeah. thing. So this is one thing I want to highlight. You know, just because you got PTSD doesn't mean you're going to be like in the movies. I guess the movies or the media portrays that you're going to be one of those cooked guys that are fucking sitting in your room just kind of a life sentence, shaking yeah. and type thing, which I'm sure there is guys out there that, with that type of PTSD. For sure. But yeah, mate, really good to hear your story and, uh, you know, share it with, oh. with the listeners, mate. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate you having me on and let me speak pretty uh, pretty freely, which is nice. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I like yeah. it, mate. Yeah, gotcha. No, yep. easy, mate. It was a bit of a delay there for a second. I think, is, it, is, yeah, it, there is, is there a storm coming up there? It looks like there's a storm. Yeah, there is a bit of cloud cover yeah. around. But, oh, yeah, there is, actually. Yeah. You're so right. She's yep. inbound. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Shark, oh, so tro- tropical. <laughs> Correct, mate. I don't need that shit. I'm locking myself inside. <laughs> mate, again, appreciate you. And, uh, we'll, mate, we'll definitely stay in contact. Love to catch up for a brew one yeah. day. And, yeah. Yeah, love to, mate. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise, and just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is – forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.